Xbox Hearts PlayStation. A Valentine's Day story. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me uh, on this week of love being in the air and apparently behind me on the hearts that my daughter put up three weeks ago because she couldn't be patient enough to want to decorate the set (laughs) (laughs) for Valentine's Day is one Mr. Chris Figgs. Chris, how are you doing today? Just dandy. How are you, Brett? I'm doing well, Chris. Can you feel the love? Can you feel it in the air? I can, yeah. Yeah, you know, as uh, can look, you feel the love. love tonight? Look, if you're new to the show, first and foremost, welcome. This is a podcast where we look at the gaming industry and talk about it as fans through the lens of being primarily PlayStation players who do play on everything when and if we see the need. Um, except for these days, uh, Chris did decide to sell his Xbox with good reason. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll it learn. Fucking sucks. Uh, but if you <laughs> if you are new, stick around. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, consider giving us a re- review or rating on your podcast service of choice if it allows to do so. If you're watching this on YouTube, consider liking the video, subscribing, and share it with anyone that you think would enjoy it. Now, as the uh, gaming industry fans and the world at at large, I'm going kind of dramatic here, so just roll with me. Uh, wait with bated breath to see what Xbox actually has to say at their Thursday event um, to update you with their business plan. Uh, Interesting choices along the way, but we'll get into that in a little bit. We're going to talk about a few other things. It's been a relatively slow news week as we all wait. Um, So there's some talk about Immortals of Avium and how its budget came into play and where it performed. And We'll have a conversation around new IP and what something like that kind of does to the market. Uh, We have, of course, some odd patents going along from Sony towards something that we think might point towards some recent rumors, as well as Skull and Bones coming across as this uh, reportedly, or at least the way they choose to call it, quadruple A. We hear that term crop up once again. We'll get to talking about all of that, but what we are going to start to show off with is a time-honored tradition where we check in on what me and Chris have been playing so that we can give you, the listener, or each other insight on what we should or maybe should not be playing, at least in each other's opinion. So, uh, with that out of the way, Chris, what have you been playing this week, uh, and why is it your new favorite game? (laughs) Um, Yeah, Helldivers (laughs) is really good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that's an easy one to get out of the way because you've played far more of it than I have, I have and yes. we at least both played it yesterday. So we have, I have less to say about it. You have more to say about it. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners who may have been kind of debating on actually jumping into something like Helldivers 2, uh, example comes to mind, B-Raj, uh, one of our patrons and longtime listeners, he would, you know, he had hit up the Discord and said, you know, pretend I haven't followed this at all. What's the best thing you can compare it to? I think that's a difficult thing, but... I'm curious if you were to try and talk someone into this game and just describe it for what you like about it, how would you approach that? Um, I would tell, I would just say it's very, it's very fun. It's very incidentally funny. I think it's one of the least funny games that I've spent the most amount of time laughing at. I think, um, or at least overtly funny anyway. And I yeah, guess well, I mean, I was, the humor is kind of tucked away and stuff, right? That's like, it's it's both overt in moments, and then there's a lot of really funny little text bubbles that you may never pay attention to if you don't. Yeah, look. those are good, but it's also the funny of like 
like this morning I was playing with Blake and sweet grand Trismo Jones. I believe I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah, it's Twitter handle. And then, um, a couple other guys and I just, Blake was, I just shot a guy and I thought Blake was about to shoot me. So I just dove off a cliff <laughs> and like, that was very funny. But then there's like the overt stuff where it's like your character is shooting and he's just yelling, that's the taste of Liberty. <laughs> And I'm like, this is incredible stuff. This is absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, I, I would just say, if it, I don't think that I would recommend it to people who want to play by themselves. I don't know why you would want to do that to yourself. And that's not a like, oh, you don't have any friends, nerd thing. It's like, it's just so goddamn hard. And like, it doesn't seem balanced for one person. So I feel like you're... You know, forcing a square peg in a round hole trying to play it by yourself. So let's dig into that for a bit because uh, I was talking to Velvet earlier and he asked me how Helldivers 2 was because uh, I'd mentioned that I didn't finish playing one of my games, Metal Hellsinger. I didn't finish the Platinum out uh, when I probably could have if I decided to last night. But yeah. instead, I wanted to hop in and see what Helldivers was doing. So he was asking and he said he thought it didn't seem – he thought it seemed not very solo player friendly, which does seem to be the idea around it. And I can kind of see why. But I thought as we were kind of going through yesterday and I was seeing the way that the game kind of doles out difficulty levels that you can, as far as I can tell, choose permission. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember, I played with Chris, his party. He was setting the missions. So I'm not actually very familiar with the UI for choosing missions and how you do it. But I think it's reasonable to extrapolate what I'm saying out of it. And I think I'm fairly accurate uh, at least in how you set it up. So Mm -hmm. we were talking yesterday about how there's like, you know, nine or so difficulties. Uh, I painted it as like something similar to Diablo where you start as low as you want. And as you continue to master the game and get gear that can help you do so, you can eventually push yourself into even further levels than just hard. Um, with that in mind, I, of course, was playing with four people yesterday, four people who were very in the know of the game in comparison to that literally being my first time. But I didn't feel that challenge inherently, though I still understood that that challenge exists. But I don't have as much of an idea well, as you do around this. So a- do you think that the game in a in a easy difficulty not is still not able to be played through and through by yourself, or is it just not the ideal way to well, play it? I- to put a caveat on that, um, we were not even playing on easy. We were playing on trivial because you'd never played it. And well, sure, but you get what I'm. You get my point. No, like, no right? I am. I'm just saying that you didn't see anything difficult because yeah. we were specifically like we're not going to play the harder difficulties because we're with Brett. Um, just yeah. to put more context into what you were saying, but um, I think I told you like there, me. So me and Grand Turismo Jones were playing in the morning just me and him and we were playing on medium and okay. we both dc'd from each other's games it was really weird but we i guess we both could continue the mission and uh I which is nice by the way it, it, yeah uh well nice in the fact that if you can pull through you don't lose progress like you would in yeah. another game that just kicks you out and goes fuck it you were kicked yeah no it wasn't your game so it's cool that the game kind of migrates you into your own server again without yeah. losing you know, that's cool. No, that's fair. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, I once he once he was gone, I couldn't beat the mission. Like, I just sure. couldn't do it. I got swarmed. It was over. And then I died like 
six more times and couldn't do it. Um, Chris, you know that there's from software fans listening, just salivating at the mouth, waiting to just frothing at the mouth while their fingers are going, get good. You know, I have the Sekiro platinum. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) there's damn. Boom. <laughs> You're gonna start putting that like if you ever have to date again, is it gonna be like in your dating profile? Yeah. Long exactly. walks on the beach, Sekiro Platinum. <laughs> I'm really good with my fingers. I can parry all day. <laughs> um No, I mean I guess the thing is it's like it's it's not single player friendly, but that's not what it is, you know? I, I don't yeah. I don't I don't think it, I don't think if you don't have any intention of wanting to play with anyone else, there's no reason to get the video game, you know. It's a great game. Like it's fun. Like I'm not saying you won't have fun, but I also it's the kind of thing where I imagine the conversation in a month of people posting on Facebook like, "Oh, Helldiver sucks. It's too hard." And then it's like, "Well, I was playing by myself." Okay. Like I don't know what you want to want, you know. It's one of those Sure. Things. Well, I think to kind of give a little bit more of a chime in on my experience with it, I very quickly came away with an impression, even after the first mission, um, Mm -hmm. that a lot of the fun to be had in that game is very similar to the fun to be had in games like Destiny and the like, where half of it is the fun of the game inherently, you know, like good mechanics and decent design and all those different things. And the other half is something that playing by yourself will never get you. And it's just the social experience that happens in the background of the game, both when the game is forcing you to be more collaborative and you're actually needing to communicate to each other Mm -hmm. versus the times when the game kind of lets up for a minute and you're going, you know, to another objective or doing, you know, another point of interest and goofy stuff is just happening and characters are diving and you're, trying to aim your pod when you get respawned to somebody and see if you can hit them <laughs> and telling me to shoot a, a, a explosive uh, and I do it and you go, <laughs> not yet. And then I, you know, so it's, you know yeah. what I mean? It's the kind of thing where it's the magic that comes from games that have social environments that are impossible to plan for. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's impossible that the, the devs were in there thinking like this and this is going to really make this part good. Part of it's just the, the spark of human you know, intelligence and, and and social aspects coming together to where four people who were all just in there to have a good time while also enjoy the game were saying and doing stupid shit while also turning it seriously for the few moments where we needed it. Yeah, and it's really, it's very cinematic. Like this morning, I had a fantastic, just inadvertent experience, right, where uh, I joined a party with Blake and a bunch of people and they were they were playing, and then one of their guys dropped out mid-mission. I don't really know what happened. So they're like, all right, yeah. we got an open slot. So I just joined in. And when I'm joining, they're fighting a charger, which you haven't seen. That's a big armored enemy. It's very difficult. It'll put you through your paces. And okay. I entered the game by dropping my pod on the charger. And I was just like, I'm coming. And I dropped it down, killed the charger. And it was awesome. That was so much. That was so cool. Just completely incidental to like perfect timing it had nothing to really do with the game but it allowed me to have that moment and that was really cool <laughs> yeah and see that is something where i think th- there's multiple levels right there's tiers to where the mechanics were probably thought about how this could interact in a multiplayer or just in a gameplay structure that could potentially be used in co-op because um i thought it was interesting that the tutorial specifically shows the ability of being able to throw out your uh 
um, what are they called, Chris? I can't think of the actual word, the L1. So your, your stratagems. Um, stratagems yeah so you can throw your stratagems out into a crowd on purpose to get the drop and mm-hmm. i noticed that yesterday when we were waiting at the very end and we were like right at the end of the level the the bugs were coming and we were t-minus you know 50 seconds or whatever yeah. i dropped a resupply on a big horde of bugs because i was like i don't have any ammo right now and i can <laughs> kind of bait them in right here and it worked and i killed yeah. a bunch of them all at once and i like that extra element of strategy mm-hmm. um, so that was cool but yeah, we won't talk about it forever. I think it's a really interesting game. There is a conversation that I want to have around this game before we move on too much further. Uh, one of my longtime friends who listens to the podcast, uh, Cody McGinnis, actually took uh, to the Facebook group and uh, whenever I did the question collection that we put out for you guys, whoever's listening, to have an opportunity to put out questions and or, in this case, remarks. And uh, I had mentioned that we were going to talk about our impressions with Helldivers 2. And he says, I absolutely love Helldivers 2. And for only $40, there's a reason that there's over 300,000 concurrent players. Sony and other companies should take note of this price point. Um, and I thought, you know, it really has been a while since we've seen a Sony that was as flexible with their price points as they once were to the point where we see a game like, uh, you know, Ratchet Rift Apart hit the $70 mark when the previous Ratchet game was a $40 budget game. Um, and I think it's, it's easy for, of course it was, that's a very Just, fair point. And the, and the other <coughs> remake that they had put out in the same generation in Shadow of the Colossus was also $40. Mm-hmm. So a lot to be said, a lot to be said. Um, a good example prior to that uh, was also 2013's Sly Cooper 4 or Sly Thieves in Time, which was also a $40 budget game. Uh, it didn't do very well, but it still showed a point in which Sony was a little more willing to have a little more uh, variable pricing. And we kind of saw that dissipate. And so I fully thought this was a $70 game until he said this. And I went and looked and I said, I'll be damned. It is $40. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised because one of the things happening in cinema right now, right? This idea that a lot of people complaining about Marvel and what these things have done to cinema. One of the common complaints is that movie studios looking at how movies do don't see the reason to take a risk with a mid-budget movie anymore and that they're only going to either do a very small indie budget style film. Uh, more akin to what like an A24 or something is doing, uh, or they're going to go full on ham out $200 million movies. And that definitely does seem to be true, whether or not, you know, that's a good or bad thing is just all now the beholder. But I feel like in games, we've only, we've seen less and less people kind of entertaining that sphere. And we've even seen a lot of the AA publishers kind of pushing the boundaries even further. And instead of getting closer to a 50 to $40 game like we might have seen even some last gen, uh, we're seeing games like Banishers come out and really blur the line, much like we saw with the, the first... Um, um, why can't I think of the name of the game right now? Um <laughs> the the rat game, Chris. Why can I not think? You just Plague played Tale. it. Plague Tale. Uh, where it's really pushing the production values and all the stuff to really kind of make you think this is not quite double A. Um, what's your kind of thought process on seeing a game like this and then by extension Power World, the $30 game, uh, sell really well and have high concurrent players? Do you think a lot of that came off of how low the barrier of entry is? Um, I mean, I would probably say yes and no, um, because I think the thing is, right, like, it, 
I think this is going to be very obvious what I'm about to say, but I think it's important. If the game was bad, it wouldn't sell even if it was a dollar. Well, I guess sure. I shouldn't say that because jumping tacos sell. But even <laughs> if it was $40 and not fun, it yeah. wouldn't be where it is. So I think there's something to say about the quality of the game just as much to say about the game itself. Um, so I don't know that I would necessarily automatically attribute it to it being $40, but I do sure. think it's a lot easier for me. Like if, like if we didn't have a joint account, right. And I hadn't mm-hmm. bought it, it would be a lot easier for me to sell you on, Hey, this shit is dope. We're all having fun and it's 40 bucks. Then True. Hey, this shit yeah. is dope. We're all having fun. It's $70. That's a yeah. completely different cost, you know, as a completely different prospect to get you to buy that. And one of those, I would be like, yeah, okay, I get why you don't want to. It's very expensive. It's still great. I wish you would pick it up, but I understand why you don't want to versus, you know, 40 bucks. Like one of my friends, Sean, isn't picking it up. And I'm kind of like, we're all playing it right now and it's $40. Like, why aren't you just picking it up? Like, what are you talking about? You know, kind of wild considering how much destiny you've played with this man. <laughs> well, he's like, oh, and that's the thing. He's like, he's he's got Game Pass brain, except for PS Five, where he's like, I'm gonna wait until it's on Game Pass or it's on PS Plus. Oh. I'm like, that's cool because we're all gonna be done. So I don't know what to tell you, but okay, yeah, you know, um, and I'm not insulting the guy. I get what he's it's his no, prerogative, for sure. but for sure, yeah. Um, so I, I again, I I think that yeah, of course being cheaper has something to do with it. I think people are more willing to take a chance on something, again, significantly cheaper. But I do think, A, I think the bigger factor is day and date PC. I think that's a much bigger factor than $40. And I think part of that is obviously shown in the fact that this game quickly beat out God of War 2018's PC release to Mm -hmm. to become PlayStation's or I guess Sony Interactive Entertainment, whatever you want to say, best selling PC game um, kind of very quick, or at least fastest selling PC game. It beats a record out for there. It's got a little bit to go because God of War on PC did sell decent. I think it sold close to two million. Uh, but this looks like it's well on the way. This game's already surpassed uh, a million, from what I understand, and yeah. seems to be doing better than expectations. If we're to believe the, uh, if I think it's the, what the CEO, or the director of the game, one of the two, CEO of the, of the um, Arrowhead Studios. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think my big thing here is that. I think a lot of people would have been surprised to see this. If you never saw the the price and no one ever, if it wasn't overtly explained to you, which I don't think I ever remember seeing a trailer that specifically said $40, which is interesting because uh, that seems like a marketable aspect. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because I would have also pegged a game like Returnal to be in that 40 to $50 range, and yet it was full price. And so I mm-hmm. think a lot of people even seeing something like this, which is very lovingly created. I mean, it's got very pretty animations. It looks great. It feels it good. I mean, at no point does this necessarily feel like a $40 game. So that's even more interesting to me. You know, yesterday <laughs> you and I talked about the fact that this game took a big <clears throat> jump above Helldivers 1 in terms of quality, and you had Absolutely. mentioned that there was... A, a, I think there was an interview of some sort where they had basically said, Sony gave us a real budget, so we decided to make a real game. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought was interesting is at that point, it had not crossed my mind that this game may not be full price at all. Uh, and so I think the fact that it was able to even make me think, yeah, I could see this being $70 is a big hit to, uh, or a big testimony to its its quality and what they were able to do. So 
yeah, across the board, I just thought it was a little interesting discussion because I remember $70 for Returnal, even for me, was like, ooh, interesting price point for the type of game that it is and from the studio in which it was from. But yeah, I mean, I think it seems again, to I have think, done well regardless. I, I think they have to look at genre. Like, I think this is, again, like I said, a hard sell at 70 and to me, Returnal was an impossible sell at seventy. I would never have bought that much money. Yeah, I mean, I uh, bought it, but primarily yeah. because of credit card rewards. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah I, I just think it's. I think they need to start knowing their market more. You know. Yeah, and maybe this is a, a good hint toward that. But moving along, uh, we've we talked about Hall Divers for a bit, so we can quickly jump through the rest of the games we have on our list here. Chris, you took a dive back into a game that you got pretty damn far in, and we've talked about it loosely here and there on the podcast. Uh, but Final Fantasy VII Remake is back in mm-hmm. your PlayStation, you know, loaded up, playing it, playing it right before we started recording. I was. Um, what was the drive to go back to it? Just at Rebirth? Yeah, Rebirth is coming out, and I'd like to want to play that game. Um, and now I'm very excited to play Rebirth. I... I Look, I don't need to say anything about Fallout or Jesus, uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Remake. It's a fantastic game. Um, all of my theories are correct, and I will not expand <laughs> beyond that. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you know, last time, if I remember correctly, I don't really think I would consider this a spoiler. But if you want to consider it one, then quickly close your ears. But last time, I think you dropped off when you're in the arena going against the house. Correct? Yes. Yep. That's where I was. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you what dropped? Like, what made you drop off? And what do you think is going to kind of? Is this another one of your examples of like with The Witcher and Red Dead, where you're just trying to come back to a game and see if it'll grip you in a different way, or what was it? Did you get pulled off for a reason that wasn't even about the game, so it's easy to come back to? Yeah, I, I think it wasn't even. It wasn't really about the game um, because I I remember liking it. Like I don't think I've sure. ever not liked Fall or Jesus Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, it's yeah. just this time I'm just forcing. Forcing is a strong word, but I'm trying not to get distracted. You know, sure. There's even some. Do you feel like there's a lot of distractors out right now for you? Or I mean, I haven't played Persona Three, and I am yeah. specifically not playing Persona Three, even though I would honestly much rather be playing persona 3 because i want to finish final fantasy 7 remake Um, all right well i think that says something even if it's just about how rebirth looks to you that you feel the need that you got to get through this one so you can play this next thing that you're excited for yeah it's 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 a hard road because if i didn't know that you were buying rebirth i don't know when i would play rebirth assuming that's fair you are but um, collector's wait. edition. Thankfully, it then comes I'm with a digital code. Oh, okay, I was about to say that I got to buy it myself. I am, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it comes. You keep talking, I'll figure. That um, out. But no, it's just it's really fun. I always enjoyed it, but I always had this sense of, you know, why I think I remember why I dropped it. I dropped it to go back and play Final Fantasy VII because I had the same fucking theory that I have now back then, and I wanted to see if I was right. And then I got to the boat in Final Fantasy VII got confused and stopped playing that and then never went back. So yeah, but um, yeah, I really like it. I really like the story so far, um, the game and the band. And 
so yeah, I'm just going to continue seeing where it goes. <laughs> Solid, <laughs> gonna, man. Yeah, I'm going to continue seeing where it goes. Like I said, I, I hope that maybe before, if I finish it in time and me and Brad have time, we can do a kind of short conversation on Final Fantasy VII Remake because I have a lot of things to say already. Um, and I don't want to say them on the podcast and get yelled at. So <laughs> we'll see where that we go fair. from there. Uh, unfortunately, I'd have to go and try and find. It doesn't actually, it says it comes with a deluxe edition, but it doesn't really say much about what that is. <laughs> so it's hard to say. I'm, I, I, here's the, the weird part of it is I may be too used to everyone else saying collector's editions completely forsake the physical disc, even though the whole point of a collector's edition is to collect. Um, so many of them. Yeah, but. If you want statues, the chances are that you want a disc are probably fairly high. I'm not saying they're one-to-one. There's clearly a large section, but I would think the majority of people who are okay with having cluttered shelves full of statues, me being <laughs> one of them, also wants a disc because it's kind of – you clearly like tangible items. Yeah. So uh, – but, yeah, I can't find anywhere where it specifically says, so we should probably look into that so that we have an idea of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll I'll buy it. I'm not worried about it. I like I said, I'm very excited for it now. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely see where where it goes from here. All right, last game, Fallout Three, huh? Yeah, we've been playing some Fallout Three. Um, <laughs> I am almost disappointed how well I know that game because uh, I finished it in like four hours, and now I'm just clearing the rest of <laughs> like some side quests and stuff that I need to do. So, remind me, you don't have the platinum on this account for this game, right? No, I do not. But I have the, I, I think it's like 850 on Xbox. I platinumed it on another account. So, yeah. 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 Um, that, I don't have much to say about it. Fallout 3 is sick. It's like, like even <laughs> now, like it's a great game. It, I was very impressed by the draw distance, um, which was, it was pretty interesting to see, like, you're walking through the wastelands and you can just see so far ahead of you and you know that you can go there. Um, it's cool. Cause it's again, I'm playing on well, PS3. Like it's a, <laughs> I, I may tell you something that you, you may not know actually about fallout three. So when you say that you can look out in the distance and see this things that you can go through, what are you talking about? You're talking about the, the Lincoln monument? No, not necessarily. <laughs> talking about capital city. Uh, maybe. I don't know. What, what are you, what are you saying? Uh, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but because of the fact that they had to try and get Fallout 3 to run on consoles when they originally were not planning for consoles, uh, that's trickery. <laughs> you may notice that to get to either of those sections, you've well, got yeah, to, you go have to go through the, the subway. Yeah. No, yeah. I know that. Um, and so you cannot physically get there, and that's literally just a flat background element to show you that there's something back there that you technically can get to look here's the thing the lie has worked for you long enough that it clearly did its job i just i've always thought that was an interesting thing hey the same is true in half-life 2 uh the the tower that's in the middle of the city is fake it is fucking projected into the skybox you can't i just i think that that kind of stuff is really interesting because it's like a very specific part of game development you're like fuck i need to get this to run but also this looks really cool what do i do yeah i mean look (laughs) here's the thing i guess like that's cool you're right it's it's trickery 
I don't give a shit because I can go over there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can get there one way or the other. It's not like, it's not like, you know, I'm playing in Boston and it's like, you know, in the distance, you can see New York, but you can't go. <laughs> go. It, no, it's yeah. more like I can see it. Yeah. I have to go through the tunnels and fight a bunch of rad roaches, but I can sure. get there. And that's what I think is cool. Well, I, I think uh, <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, reason I even bring that up is because another game that has to do that for the sake of consoles mm. and they left it in the PC version, even though the PC version does not need it, um, is Skyrim. You know, when mm-hmm. you get to Whiterun, you have to load into Whiterun. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because you can see Whiterun and you can see into Whiterun, but to go into it, you have to load. And I, and for that reason, I actually like Fallout 3's way better because it's, they're just hiding the loading behind a big tunnel loading screen that you're going through <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at least they're trying to give a reason i've always thought it was great when you play uh skyrim on pc or if you can get the mod up and running on uh xbox or playstation which i'm not sure i haven't tried uh, in hindsight on those consoles but i love the mods that let you enter cities without having to load because yeah. that feels way more magical for reasons that are really hard to explain but it's kind of the difference between like when you're on when you're in grand theft auto 4 and you can go into a building you're like oh shit this is sick and then suddenly in five you can go into way less buildings and just kind of like well goddamn (laughs) (laughs) it's like the game's more detailed but i feel like i can do less than i could in the other one and that was you know yeah yeah um but yeah i'm it's funny because i was saying in our in our trophy chat because running the trophy competition again this year and i was like this isn't even for the trophy competition because i have all but like six trophies it's like it's just a personal i should have this i have the lesser fallout platinum on the ps3 so i might as well get the good one you know um so i'll I'll definitely do that i really enjoyed my time but like i said it was one of those disappointing experiences where like so i basically went in I was like, I'm just going to do the Wasteland Survival Guide. And by doing all of the Wasteland Survival Guide, I beat the game <laughs> because I knew what I was going to do, right? I was like, okay, I have to go to Riv- Rivet City, so I have to talk to Madison Lee. Oh, my dad's over here. I, I just walked to Tranquility Lane. Then I did Project Purity, and then the game was basically over. I was like, Jesus. I, I do. So, you know, I'm there, but yeah, I just need some leveling. Um, I have to do the uh, so I'm playing as a neutral character because I have to do the uh, level eight with an evil, level eight with neutral, blah 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 blah. Collect all yeah. the the bobbleheads and stuff. So I will probably get back to that. Maybe probably after Rebirth and Tekken Eight and fucking all the games I've bought this week. I don't need to get bonuses because I just spend it all. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't have much more to say about it. Fallout 3 is awesome. Just go play it. If you've, if you've never played Fallout 3, don't tell me because I'll yell at you, but go play it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a shame that I, too, like trophies so much because the ideal way to play Fallout 3 is Xbox Series X with 60 frames per second, 4K, fucking, what is it, the... I think that that game uses the auto HDR. If I'm not mm-hmm. even, if I'm not mistaken, if if it's remote, I haven't done it, but if it's remotely like 
Oblivion is on Xbox Series X, it's like that is the place to play it, even over yeah. PC, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, if you want something that's like the original, but just smooth and stable and better. <laughs> well, it's, but it's, it's, the, the whole time I'd be playing it on there, like that's the thing. Like, thankfully, Oblivion doesn't have trophies, so it just doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. But the fact that I know that the entire time I'd be playing Fallout 3 and I got an achievement, I'd be like, it could have been a trophy. <laughs> is, right, maybe, uh, is maybe on Thursday, they'll transfer all your Xbox achievements to trophies. <laughs> Dude, that that's a conversation we'll get into. I, I know that that's like crazy shooting for the moon, but how sick would that be? Holy shit. Not going to happen, that but um, yeah. So let's get moving along. Uh, let me quickly run through mine. For plat number 200, kind of coming back around to, to the trophy conversation, last mm. week I was saying how I didn't like the idea of having to feel like I have to do something that's big. And I'm really glad that I just loaded up Viewfinder and ended up really, really, really fucking liking it. Mm-hmm. Great game. It is very good. Um, the only, it, it, it's not even anything about the game. I was very happy with it being platinum t- number 200. But as I said in the Discord, as I started playing it and I remember how much as I do every time I play a puzzle game like this, how much I love puzzle games. I'm like, fuck, I played Talos Principle on PC. I could have played it on PS4 or PS5 yeah. and had that be platinum number 200, and that would have been pretty sick. And I but it, I, so you should have done it. I didn't want to stop playing Viewfinder to completely abandon it, go play that, and then try and come back to Viewfinder. So I settled. Talos Principle maybe like a 250 or something, because that would yeah. be a really cool one. Um, and 300 can I be wanna, I want to quickly talk about Viewfinder and its trophies specifically and why I think that this was an accidental perfect pick for this. And it's because my wife and I played this game sitting next to each other through a couple of days. And this is what I love. We talked about how trophies can be additive, how they can be interesting, how they can just encourage you to play the game in weird ways. But as Chris, you may know, I don't ever look at trophy guides before I play a game. But this uh, yeah, is yeah. this is good. This worked in my favor for once, Chris. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> I know, but I saw your face. So as I was playing, I was just fucking around a lot in every single level. And I only had a single trophy that I had to look up a guide to go do by the time I beat the game. Because you can arguably, as far as I can tell, you can platinum this game in a single playthrough. Mm-hmm. And I did all that by fucking around. And my, me and my wife, like, I don't want to say too much because it's going to give away puzzle solutions. Some of them will. Some of them won't. But there was a lot of times in the game where I was just like, oh, this is cool. I didn't know that this could do this. And so I'm going to try and push this to its logical edge. And then I would do that. And I got a trophy. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And there's a few times where I did it and I didn't get anything out of it other than sheer enjoyment for having a game with mechanics that you can fuck around with like that. Um but instead of it being platinum number 200 being some like I've got to super pay attention to a trophy guide and like hyper focus on maximizing what I'm doing here. I played a game that I pretty much naturally got the platinum in. And that is why 200 special in its own accidental way. Uh, play Viewfinder. It's excellent. It's a great length and does a lot of interesting things with its mechanics and <coughs> graphical styles. Oh. Uh, yeah, there's a section of the game where this isn't even anything. It's not a solution to the game that I'm aware of. I'm pretty sure it's not. Uh, where you, There's like a bunch of pictures that are different style, like a cartoon drawing, like a, a watercolor painting, and then like a kid's drawing. Uh, mm. It's like crayon. And you can set each of them down. And it's just wild seeing it, being able to graphically walk into something that you just held in front of you in place. Like it's the mechanic yeah. fucking, it works. It's good. Um, 
And lastly, you know, we were talking a while back about Metal Hellsinger. And some of my complaints around the type of game that it is, the genre, and of course the hardware on which we're playing it on, are still true. Uh, there are issues with latency between LE, uh, you know, modern TVs, HDTVs, uh, consoles, wireless controllers, all these different things that add to making it to kind of difficult to stay on beat in a game that tells you to stay on beat. Um, and all of that I was able to kind of minimize, but there's two aspects that I realized that play into this. One of them is fixable. One of them is not really. Uh, the first one is, as I told Chris, my wrist has been hurting me since I started playing this game because I didn't turn off the trigger break to where you, it, it resists you on the trigger. And what I found is that trying to stay on beat I had to slowly learn to compensate for the fact that it takes a little bit, uh, you know, a fraction more of a second to hit the trigger because I'm having to break over on the trigger. And so I slowly just started hitting the button earlier so that I would hit on time. So I turned that off as I was doing the final torments, which I have two trophies left right now. Nice. Um, it's the use uh, only the sword to beat an aspect and then die 20 times. Oh, I have three. The other one's two seraphs, which I'm assuming is the angels in one shot or something like that. Um, I'm a little surprised I didn't get that one. <laughs> There's but, only one level they spawn, so I'm not surprised, actually. I was trying to figure <laughs> out. I think I can do it in a torment because the torment that I last did had a bunch of them spawning. I think I could have gotten it there if I hadn't been using the sword. So if I forsake the goal of the torment and just try and I, I have to figure it out. Yeah, it's a specific seraph. I should be clear. It's a, oh. you, you have to look it up. It's it's like one specific seraph that only I'm spawns in one that. specific level. Because I probably would have been pissed <clears throat> trying to figure that out. Because <laughs> I did that. Like I was like, oh, I got this. And then like I got a different because there's a different variation of it. And I was like, why didn't it pop? And then I checked and it's like a blue, specifically blue one that you have to do it on. So one, one level. Okay. Gotcha. Good to know. Um, but yeah, the other is that I think this is true of Hi-Fi Rush, but maybe to a lesser degree. I'm not as familiar with its music. This game has got great music, first and foremost. Incredible. S so many singers and musicians mm -hmm. that I really like coming in, coming in and, and being part of it. Um, but this game kind of sells you on this idea that you're playing to the beat. And realistically, the game doesn't want you to be on beat with the song because being on beat with the song means a whole lot of different things. If a song has a part that's going, dun, 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 you could consider the beat every, dun, 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 dun. that's technically true, but the game won't let you do that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. what I found is that the game essentially wants you to play to a metronome that they determine that is not immediately always obvious from the song. Once you get in the groove, you can hear it, but it just sounds like you're keeping count like a normal musician would, like one, two, three, four, two, two, and you're just doing that. And what I found is, I think it may be worse for me because I am a musician. It's super unintuitive to essentially be playing to the beat, but the beat is nothing really audio-based more than it's... Uh, to the beat means they want you to play when that arrow gets into the crosshair, which does not always line up with the song, as you would expect. Uh, and so I was fighting myself to do that. I got better as I went along through the game, but it really got me in some of the later torments and it was fucking me up. Uh, specifically, yep. Chris, the mastery two, uh, ultimate mastery two was a fucking nightmare. I had to play it like seven times, eight times to get it. That's the, uh, only part of the game where I turned on the, uh, the accessibility 
like always on beat thing. And I was just like, I'm just not doing this anymore. And so what I does just, it do? You can just press the trigger whenever the hell you want. And it, it just, doesn't be, give it a just, shit. It, it just, just becomes doom. It just doom. says, yeah. Yeah, oh, it okay. just becomes doom. That's funny you said that. Uh-huh. Because in my opinion, the way that I would probably take this game, because I don't know why, but I have this picture with what happens throughout the game that they're going to try and move on and do something else with it. And I would actually kind of like to see this take the Darksiders approach where every game is a slightly different variation of what the series is doing. I'd be completely okay with the next game foregoing the more in-your-face observable rhythm game and instead become Doom 2018 styled because it's already almost there, but it forces you to play the beat. What I really like about Doom 2018 is I've often called it a rhythm game, but in the sense of you've got to find a line and you'll kind Mm -hmm. of start realizing, okay, I need ammo, so I've got to do this. I need health, so I've got to do this, and I need this. And as you're playing, you kind of just start noticing that you're you're hitting kind of in a in a motion in a very different way than you would a normal first person shooter. And this game at times feels so close to that before it reminds you you got to be on beat motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so look I'm glad I came back to it. I agree with you that this game is I maybe I actually am a little more forgiving. I think this game is <clears throat> the perfect length. When I have these last two trophies done, I feel like I am definitely done playing it. But not, yeah. I'm not annoyed with it right now. No. But I think by the time that that happens, I'll be on the edge where I can see myself becoming annoyed with it, but now I'm done, so I don't need mm. to be annoyed with it. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's a, that's a smart... <clears throat> when you do a game that kind of has a weird stick like this, you've got to know how to make that balance work. And I think that they chose the right level to kind of play back and forth. It's not an overly long game. It's a pretty, I think it's like a 30 or $40 game. It's pretty budget friendly. Um, it's on but PlayStation also, Plus now if you want to play it. So. It is on PlayStation Plus Extra, now, yes. I think. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. But also, dude, why does everyone just want Troy Baker to be a cowboy man in their games? I'm, <laughs> I, it's just a small complaint, but... <laughs> was it Troy? I couldn't... I thought it was... That was 100% Troy Baker. I haven't looked yeah. it up, but I'd bet $100 on it. I'm not going to bet because I'm probably you're probably right. But there was a point when I was playing where I'm like, I think this is Troy, but it could be someone trying to play Troy, you know? Also true. All things are possible. But yes, um, I mean, it's like Nolan North. Once, once he did Uncharted, everyone was like, yeah, why don't you just do that? <laughs> Could this be a smart, quippy guy, please? Yeah. Let's sell our game yeah. as though we have Drake. Yeah, but I, I do like Metal Health Singer. I think it's a cool game. But I have a little bit of worries about Hi-Fi Rush because I have to really adjust what I think I'm playing. You're, I almost wish the game was smart enough to be like, you can play 2B if you can just match this visual cue. But if you mm-hmm. have a more acute sense of rhythm then we have sub-notes that you can get even better powers on so that you can drive people to... I think it would also add a cool difficulty curve where it's like, uh, or at least when you want to continue to go into higher difficulty levels, you can compensate with that by being able to do things on like quarter notes and 16th notes and being able to stay in beat without being in beat. And you almost get a little bit of taste of that when you're using the Hounds of Hell, the little the two revolvers, my favorite weapons in the game, because they allow you to play the game at double time. I don't know if you noticed that. It's the only mm. weapon that allows you to fire at twice the rate of the rhythm. Yep. Every other weapon is just... Tch, 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 tch. And that's actually another f- very small complaint of the game. 
they never bother to change tempos. Every single song is written to that exact same tempo, and that feels like wasted potential. I would have really liked a level or even a song that changes tempo. I think it'd be cool as shit to get to a moment, and then suddenly it's like, oh, shit, the tempo is going up because a lot more is happening. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure from what I understand, this is their first game. They did a great job. I don't want to complain so much as I want to critique in ways that they, if they follow up with another rhythm game, there's a lot of ways that they can make this better. Mm -hmm. So I hope they take this and do different genres. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Give me an opera through ancient Greece or something like that. Well, dude, I also, I mean this seriously, like there's a balance between (laughs) sometimes metalheads like to act like other stuff is so cheesy and cringe and, at the end of the day, you just got to realize, dude, the, the thing about metal is that it's constantly riding a very fucking thin line between being cheesy. Like some, mm-hmm. most of my favorite songs of all time, if I really look at them, they're cheesy. But something yeah. about that cheese somehow works for And it happens in this game. There's a lot of times where I'm like, this is so dumb that he's saying this and talking like this. And why is he a Texas dude when these people are from Stockholm? Like the, the <laughs> studio's out of Sweden. Like... But you start to kind of just think like these are just they're playing into, you know, uh, I guess some of the sticks of, of metal. Um, but I thought the story was actually kind of cool. Like, yeah, it's told in a very simplistic <clears throat> way, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Mm-hmm. I completely so. agree. It's a great game. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, before we break into news where we're going to kind of update on all the stuff that it did happen this week, we're going to quickly run through a pretty easy community's take that came about as of last week so of course if you've been living in a hole uh chris wants to talk real quick i'm gonna i'm gonna cede the floor to chris yeah i just want to say two things be my chris rants for two minutes about things so one with the popularity of hell divers i just want to say if you've never played a multiplayer game before learn mic etiquette i will not elaborate but it's very important for your teammates um and number two I, I got very upset with Amazon this week, and I'm just going to complain about it because I have a public forum. <laughs> so I took advantage of the buy to get one free uh, thing, or 50% off, right? So, Brett, what is 50% off of $70? Okay, yeah, 35 Yeah. You know how much I fucking paid for Tekken 8? You know how much I paid on the 50 buy one, get one 50% off? $50? $61. <laughs> What version of Tekken 8 did you get? It's the play, it doesn't even have a goddamn manual. There's just stickers in here for my controller that I'm not going to use because this is stupid. What are we talking about here, Amazon? If it says buy one, get one 50% off, that is a $35 game. Luckily, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to afterpay it. So I paid I'll pay 23 bucks, whatever. That wasn't, that was not 50% off. Sorry, I was very frustrated and I needed to complain about that. But it's not not fifty percent off. It should have been thirty five dollars. <laughs> All right, that has been the weekly CCC Chris complaints corner. I We're like going to move on <laughs> the CVC Chris Vince corner. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're going to go into uh, the community's take, which is where at the end of every episode we reach out or we give a question for you listeners to. Uh, kind of get your words back in us, what you think about something we said in the last episode, something that's going on in the industry, who knows, a chance to push back on something we said or open our eyes to something we may not have mm-hmm. thought of, uh, or just share your thoughts in general. 
Uh, and with that in mind, last week, of course, the big news that was coming up and about around Xbox that we're, we've kind of been teasing around this episode, uh, Philip Hoy from NPS We Trust, another one of our friendly PlayStation podcasts that we uh, fraternize with, had reached out. And his question to us last week was, you know, of the games that are coming, what are three games that you would have liked to have seen? So... We reached out to you guys and asked if the rumors are to be believed. What are the top three games from Xbox that you're looking forward to playing on PlayStation? And do you think we'll see things uh, different regarding haptics, adaptive triggers, cards, trophies, all the support of PlayStation-specific features that they may not go into? And man, did we get a bunch of freaking responses. I'm going to go a little bit more than I usually do. We usually go about four or five. These are quick. They're list games. We're going to run through these. Uh a bunch of our patrons answered, and as you may know, if you've listened to the show for a long time, but if you haven't, this is news for you. Our patrons, who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar per month to support the show, uh, we try to give them preferred reading on any of our questions or, and any kind of call-outs that we give. So we're going to get to all of those, and we're going to try and get to some of the ones from uh, the other uh, listeners who are some new and we appreciate you guys reaching out. So to start things off, we have Jehudi MD coming in with Elder Scrolls 6, Doom, whatever sequel comes next, Fallout 5, or if current games being worked on available, Fable, Halo Infinite, Elder Scrolls 6. Um, yeah, I think that that's a solid list. It's been interesting to kind of see Chris on this. Mm. People who I, I want to choose my words carefully because I'm not trying to paint them. They may just truly not have any interest. Um, but people who seemingly act as though, or at least seem to think within themselves that Xbox has genuinely no worthwhile games. Um, I've seen that on Twitter throughout the week and people being like, I don't want any of these games to come over. And I think that's kind of wild because I think we've been able to clearly point out a few times where Xbox has had some genuinely good games much like nintendo i'm not going to act like the competition never has good games Mm -hmm. do i like the games from playstation more often yes and that's why i went that route but there's a handful of games from microsoft that i am excited for or was excited for and looking forward to play if they do come over here or i've already played on xbox because the drive was real enough so that was interesting. Uh, another one of our patrons, Rude Cold, uh, says, Hellblade 2 as the first was superb on the PlayStation. Agreed. I would love to see that game come over. Whatever Double Fine is making next, as they always deliver, and Clockwork Revolution, as that really looks neat and gives off Bioshock slash Dishonored vibes. Hmm. It's funny. I don't think I would have said Dishonored, but now that he said it, I see it. It was way more see it, I guess. very clearly bioshock to me but bioshock has the benefit of having the gritty dark underwater and the brightly lit over sky of both rapture and (laughs) and columbia Columbia. so it's it covers a pretty wide range (laughs) uh josh Ayers, longtime listener longtime patron he says the old gears halo and fable i don't need the new stuff which is Echoed by RMG0731, who says mostly older games that had quality. Halo, Master Chief Collection, Blue Dragon from Mistwalker, and State of Decay for the sandbox feels. So a man after Chris's heart. Yeah. 
that was over on the Discord, which you can join by clicking the link in the description below. That is where you can find Chris, myself, uh, and a bunch of our other patrons and common listeners where we get together, we talk about the show, we talk about things and trophies, movies, music, whatever it is. We'd love to see you join over there. But if that's not your bag, then you can head over to uh, what we, I think we've all collectively agreed is still called Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter. And you can join a bunch of other people like longtime patron and longtime listener Dennis, a.k.a. a one-armed wolf, who was the winner of last year's trophy competition. Round of applause. Round of applause. All right. Uh, He says Gears of War series, Fable series, and Halo. Don't really care after the first two. Just threw in a third to have three. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Lukey Luke says, I was gutted about Indiana Jones being just on Xbox. Rumors have it. It's coming to PlayStation. So happy days. Anyway, the games would be Indiana Jones, Forza Horizon, and maybe Sea of Thieves. Hey, it looks like at least one of those you are absolutely getting. (laughs) I I would be very surprised if one of those three, I'll let you be the one to determine which one, but yeah, (laughs) seem very likely. Uh, Savoy Prime, longtime listener. He also says all of Obsidian's games, except Grounded, laugh out loud. (laughs) I'm with you though. I haven't played Grounded, so I have no real opinion, but the rest of Obsidian's games, I'm with you. Let's go. Uh, he says, Gears of War and Forza Horizon series, DualSense features and full PS5 feature integration would be nice, but if not, I'd be fine. And yeah, that seems like a pretty reasonable answer on the, the PlayStation features because honestly, a lot of PlayStations or a lot of publishers who release on PS5 still don't utilize the system as well. Valid. So the long-running problem with PlayStation, problem's a strong word, they have a lot of great ideas, but they seldom force developers to do them, and therefore they kind of go unutilized. But you know what? I want to take a quick brief tangent into the Brett Complains Corner to tell you I can say that, and yeah, they do a good job of supporting their own stuff. What's up, Chris? It's the Brett, Brett Bitches? Yes, the Brett Bitches <laughs> Corner. <laughs> yeah. Let me get that BBC, baby. What do you say? <laughs> but as far as that may be true here and sony does a good job of supporting the features software wise that they put in they did the same thing with vita they made sure that the games they put out use touchpad all the different things that they had put in there but i feel i don't know if you've seen it chris uh what is currently still focus uh entertainment (laughs) i can't remember what their new name is supposed to be pull up pull up god uh they posted a giveaway for a Banisher's Ghost of New Eden PS5 custom, which yep. looks really good. Looks sick. And of course, it's got custom plates on it that look like wood with you know these uh, engravings in them. And it says Banisher's Ghost of New Eden. Um, and in the bottom, it's got this blue swirl. It's really pretty. If you want to uh, go enter for a chance to win that, you can do so on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, so go do that. But even just looking at the plates that were there, it just all over again reminded me that PlayStation spent time talking about outlining and even to a degree hyping up the idea of removable and replaceable plates. And they did absolutely fucking nothing with it in three years. And now they have an entirely new console and they're still doing nothing even with that one. Yeah. And when I say nothing, clearly they release stuff, but they just released different colors, a camo and then Fucking one exclusive got plates that immediately sold out and no one has. So 
you tell me what's what the fuck's going on. But yeah, I want to take that opportunity to say sometimes Sony makes shit and still is just like, oh, don't know what to do. <laughs> Sony's just over there with a wall full of really coolly designed plates that were brought to their attention, and they're just like, yeah. <laughs> That's all they're doing. Give so, me more. Give me, give me more. Sorry. I'm telling you. I am telling you. So moving along from there, sweet Gran Turismo Jones, our boy Ryan, he says, just Microsoft Flight Simulator, since that is what I bought an S for, though a PS5 or PS5 Pro version would be welcomed. Yeah, that's a game I could see a lot of people getting into, though I imagine uh, Ryan would also love the caveat of being able to play that in PSVR 2 because one of his big complaints is that there is not really a flight sim game of any level, even like a simcade or even an arcade flight game. Really? There's one that just came out. I can't remember what it's called top wings or something like that. Uh, but it's had some issues. And so, yeah, Ryan, one of these days, ACE combat will come back around and grace you. But until then we're going to move on to, uh, Liam who <laughs> his name is, Listen to Creed. It's Le- Taco Liam. Listen to Creed. I, I can only agree with you. Uh, he says Magna Carta 2, Left 4 Dead, and Bullet Witch, basically 360 games. Which, you know, wh- one thing that we really didn't talk about here, and I've seen a lot of love for, is going much, much further back than even <laughs> Xbox One. And just being like, can we Do- finally get this fucking game? Yeah, can we get Blinks? <laughs> Why the fuck not? How about Brute yeah. Force? Here goes one more for you. Sea of Thieves. Okay, obvious. Viva Pinata. Okay, whatever. And Starfield. That comes from Murph Hay and our final uh, entry over on Twitter. Uh, Oh, we have one more over in the Facebook group. One of the people that we don't hear from too much. So I wanted to shout him out. Nicholas Horder says Hellblade 2 and whatever Arcane does next, so long as it's a recovery from their most recent debacle, would love a new Dishonored game. Um, And man... We're going to have a talk about sequels, and I'm someone who falls into this, too. We're going to do that here in a little bit. But for now, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting games and something I really share uh, a thing for here as well. I hadn't thought about it, but really, if we're going digging deep, I would love to see Fable Anniversary come to PlayStation 5 with 4K60, just like it plays on Series X and... I would love to platinum that game. I adore that game. I can play it a million times. I never get tired of it. I think it's a really well-made game. It's the best in the series, hands down, in my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. That would be a really cool game to see. I'm still iffy on how I feel about the new Fable, and I don't think they've shown enough for me to even be able to form enough of an opinion. So, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing it come over, but I have a feeling, a still pretty strong feeling that may or may not be confirmed that this is not going to be any kind of day-and-date games. So if you're looking for playing the new Fable on PlayStation 5, I imagine it's going to be about a year after it comes out on Xbox, and who the fuck even know when it's coming out on Xbox right now? So. <laughs> Eventually, at the very least. Eventually, that's that where I we can are. <laughs> <laughs> it will eventually one day come. Uh, so with so. that in mind, I think we are at a good point to be able to jump into the news. But Chris, I'm going to give you a second to, uh, if there's anything you want to add in before we hop into the news, the floor is yours. No, I think the, I was wondering when we were talking about this, could we see, like, I, I'm curious if Microsoft and Sony start playing nice, because I think it would be super interesting if they were like, uh, 
hey, can you help us with our backwards compatibility issues? You know, like small stuff like that. Like, I don't think that would happen, but it would be super interesting, you know? Yeah, well, dive into that a little bit more. So when you say like, I know that was just a hypothetical, but let's well, like, face that down a little bit. Let's go. So what what do you think would be the, I'm sure you'd be like, Sony Microsoft going to are, Microsoft are and being software, like, hey, we're going to consult. Yeah, they're software guys, right? So mm-hmm. you almost wonder if they could go to Microsoft and be like, you guys figured out backwards compatibility. We work together now more closely than we did before. Can you help us figure this out? Because... The weird thing about Microsoft going third party, at least kind of third party, is it kind of behooves them to help Sony sell PlayStation 5s now. (laughs) See, it's interesting that you say that because the fact that, again, rumor mills, so take it for what you will, but with the rumor mills being what they are, I thought it was really interesting that there is a report saying that Phil Spencer and uh, Sarah Bond did not confirm anything about the games, but did make sure that they stressed that they are not currently getting out of the console business. And the reason I think that that's something that's interesting to think about is primarily because if they're not getting out of the console business, which I did not anticipate them to be doing, I think you may recall last week I said, they will continue through this generation. Depending on how well this move does for them, we might see them actually realize that it would be more beneficial for them to get out of the console market. But I'm not saying that that's a for sure. That's just a possibility. Uh, with that in mind, though, exclusives still matter. And so I think that even stronger pushes the fact that I don't think we're going to see day and date on most games. Uh, definitely any kind of single player, obvious, big exclusive <laughs> like Hellblade 2 or like Avowed uh, or even a Starfield. But I think you might see more of a reason to do just like PlayStation did with Helldivers and say, fuck it, Sea of Thieves 2, just for the sake of having a game to throw out there and say that's it. Sea of Thieves 2 will be day and date on every platform that we can put it on. That yeah. would be potentially sensible. Um, mm-hmm. I could still see that even having a year exclusivity period, but at the end of the day, you kind of go, would, would it make more sense to do a big bang initially and get it out of the way and just support the game on as many platforms as we can? So um, with that in mind, I think you're both correct in that there's a reason why they would want more people to buy more of every console. I don't know if I would say it behooves them to the point that they need to help the competition figure out one of the few aspects that they still have an edge over since that is one of their edges in the hardware department. You know, yeah, but I mean? that's the point is they're not competition anymore. As long as they're in the market, they're a form of competition. But I think you have, I think I remember seeing you put this on Twitter and I do mostly agree. Um, they've not been true competition <clears throat> for a few years now, realistically yeah. speaking. Uh, I think once it became fairly obvious that they had more or less lost the Xbox One era, their view as competition in a lot of people's eyes, maybe even their own, lessened. But then whenever this new generation seemingly did not really turn the tides for them in any meaningful way, I think it just cemented that they're not competition in that capacity. And I remember Saul and I saying at the beginning of this generation is that you're going to see this generation be the thing that separates, you know, for a long time we saw 
the consoles trying to homogenize and be as close to each other as possible in every mm-hmm. way possible. And I really felt like this generation where you're going to see them start to differentiate where PlayStation is going to dig even deeper into actual hardware and ecosystem and Xbox is going to go even further off of platform. And it does seem that we are right to a degree. And I think a lot of people saw that coming. I'm, so I'm not going to act prophetic at, at all there, but it's interesting because there is a reason for someone who's so software oriented like Microsoft um, to just kind of be like, fuck it, put it on as much as we can and support what we can, but also still have a reason to want to come into our ecosystem. So I'd be curious to see how that does end up going on though. I would of course love to see PlayStation figure out anything remotely like a form of enhanced backwards compatibility. That is not essentially what they, what the reports gave that the only way to get backwards compatibility at all, let alone enhanced backwards compatibility is to essentially build an emulator for every game, which basically means at that point you're, you might as well just make a remake or a remaster of every game. If you're going to have to do that much work anyway, which is not worth it. So you would just not do it. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't like. I don't think that's a realistic thing. I think the dream was always, oh, they work together and Microsoft helps with the PSN. I don't know if that's needed as much as it was a couple generations ago, but for sure, even the beginning of the PS4 gen, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, who knows? I like I said, I'll be interesting. Maybe when we get to the news, we can do our final gut check predictions before next week's episode. But for sure, it's going to be. I hesitate to say this because it's video games, but it is true. It is going to be a historic week. <laughs> One way or another. I, I do feel like that term is thrown out a lot yeah. in the gaming market, and I don't really think that it it lives to that hype very often. Um, but this this has the potential to be historic. Say that I much. think in a lot of ways it's historic regardless. Because let's say they come out and they go, nothing's changing. It is a historic bungling of PR. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then if they go third party, it's historic just because of that, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, something we've not really seen anyone do since Sega in any yeah. meaningful capacity. Yeah, I mean that's what's funny is even Google getting out of gaming, they just completely got out. They weren't even like, we'll go third party and just release our games for everything. They were just like, no, fuck it, we're <laughs> we're not doing any of it. <laughs> so. Which I thought was pretty wild I, when I when it was clear to me that uh, Stadia was failing which was pretty early on, I thought they'll just eventually start making their games for everything and just still keep these studios they've built. And they'll just find a way to put these games on as much things as they can. And they just did not do that at all. It was like, <laughs> nah, getting rid of it all. If you want to pay for this project, please do so. <laughs> and didn't you can they, have it. Didn't they refund a bunch of money too? Did the craziest thing is that they, everyone, yeah. If you bought a game, they gave you the money back. That's crazy. That's and I I get it in a way. They're a huge company, man. They have plenty of money to do what they want to with. But if you ask people to trust in you and you faltered that badly, I actually kind of think it's kind of dope of them to be like, guys, listen, we know we fucked it up. <laughs> like, so right. the only way we can make it right and show you that you can't trust us is that we give you the money back for everything that you paid for. I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, I'm pretty sure they even paid everyone back for getting Stadia. Like, if you bought the Stadia controller and all that, I'm pretty sure you got a refund for that. Damn, that's actually... I might might be wrong on that one, but I know for a fact that if you bought any games or if you had any subscriptions, they paid you back for it. 
That's huge. That's pretty sick. Yeah, because a lot of people have been using that logic to say that Microsoft would do the same thing if they were – when, of course, the way the conversation was going, not my opinion, but when they go third party and stop making consoles, they're going to refund everybody for every game they ever bought digitally, which is <laughs> insane. Not going to happen. Not Xbox has been around for 23 years, something to that degree. You've gotten your money's worth out of almost everything. I could see them being like, hey, your last year of games, we might refund to you somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. But we'll convert that into Game Pass somehow. I could see that. That's about the most. But also, they've been around for 23 years. I've seen a lot of talk this week about uh, Microsoft taking over and the Xbox branding being retired. And I'm going to say right here, right now, you do not build a brand to become recognizable over 23, 22 years and then just fucking chunk it. Yeah, you won't. The reality is, is that Microsoft may have a little bit more billing in the marketing <laughs> to some degree than they did, but they are still going to use Xbox. There's no reason to literally forsake the brand. You say that, but I am logged into X.com right now. So, <laughs> hey, listen, you're right, but also pretty much everyone universally agreed that was a stupid idea, and pretty much everyone universally still calls it Twitter, as we just confirmed earlier. <laughs> so, at worst, Microsoft's like, we're retiring Xbox, and then everybody just keeps <clears throat> calling Game Pass Xbox Game Pass, even though they try their damnedest to be like, it's Microsoft Game Pass, it's MGS, because we're working with Kojima now, and we're trying to make America solid reference. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Facts. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But let's go ahead and kind of scooch into the news here. Uh, The first piece of news is kind of interesting because I actually think it's a terrible name. Really? (laughs) Let's get into that. Uh, Sony has filed a patent for something called Intergalactic the Heretic Project. (laughs) Nothing else is known about this, but it seems to potentially fall in line with a leak that came out a while ago that was colloquially called Gears of Effect. Uh, that is the end of that news piece. I'm going to tell you right now, I think Gears of Effect is a better name than Intergalactic the Heretic Project. Um, I think, I kind of think it's interesting. Because it says a lot, it gives me a religious space thing. But yeah, it's kind of a dumb name. It'll, it'll be renamed. <laughs> it'll be renamed. It's fine. Who knows? But look, is Gears of Effect a great name? No, but I think it's it draws more question out of me. Like, what the hell could that mean? You, is, you this, wanna, is this like a multi-decision game? What is? Yeah. There's a little bit more than just... This almost seems like word soup. Well, that's what I was going to say <laughs> is I almost feel like The Heretic Project is a much better name than Intergalactic Agreed. The Heretic Project. Agreed. Yeah, just calling <clears throat> it... Or even Project Heretic. That's not bad either. I, yeah. You know what? I wish that games were more okay with using the word project in their name and just being like, yeah, it just sounded fucking cool. Because I still to this day stand on the fucking mountain screaming that Project Eve is a way cooler name than Stellar Blade. I don't fucking care. You could say it a million times. Project Eve sounds cooler in every single way to me. And it makes more sense because Eve's a robot, apparently. Yes. So like, it's so much. It fits. That, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. So but it does have end, unfinished vibes, you know. I will give you that. It does have vibes of like it, you it depends on what it finish. is. In this in this case of the of Stellar Blade specifically, it being a game about a robot named Eve sounds like Project Eve is literally perfect because she was a project. It's fitting into the lore. Yeah. Now, 
you got to be careful. If the game is called Project Heretic or the Heretic Project, you've got to be a little more... Well, Project Heretic would be a little more like, this is just a, a, a makeshift name, whereas the Heretic Project sounds a little like, oh, okay, maybe that's intentional. But you could tell a story that is built around this project about trying to create heretics for some capacity in a space environment. But across the board, I just think this is a bad name. But I also stand on the fact that uh, no one, absolutely no one is going to look Hideo Kojima in the eyes when he goes, I think Death Stranding 2 should be subtitled on the beach and tell him that that's a bad idea. No one in that room is going to have the balls or the gumption to do it. They're going to be like, yes, Kojima, very amazing, incredible. In- thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair. For allowing us into the room while you came up with this brilliant name. That's exactly what happened. I know it. I mean, nobody had the balls to tell him that that goddamn puppet probably added $50 million to the budget. <laughs> so, I mean, who the hell knows? I love that, though, actually. It's sick. It's awesome, but. So good. It's a puppet, man. <laughs> 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 hey, look, the fact that it's animating on every other frame just means that the game is, it, it has that much more overhead to run smoothly. One <laughs> less thing that it has to make sure it runs at solid time. <laughs> the puppet is the only thing at 60 FPS. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually even like it if the puppet literally changed frame rates. Like sometimes he seemed really smooth and sometimes he just went down to like the single digits. Like, <laughs> <laughs> depending on if you have it there's a uh, uh the game performance and quality mode and then there's a puppet performance puppet. and quality mode that would actually dude it, i wouldn't be surprised if kojima did that because that seems like the weird kind of meta shit that he would be into i agree yeah there's yeah. a boss fight that's harder if you have it on per- the puppet on performance mode <laughs> dude i love those kind of theories even when some of them are really hard to prove i think i've told this story in the podcast i don't know if i've told it to you i told you the story about the the medallions in resident evil 4 that it makes the game harder if you get them all yes if you shoot all of them because you know you only need to shoot 10 of them or whatever to get the gun that allows you to pierce through the next body yeah. um but it, there's like 12 or 13 of them whatever it be if you shoot excess of that for each one that you shoot past that it puts a hidden difficulty slider up in the game this is the story i got told when i was playing the game on ps2 from my friend who had played it a million times on gamecube and ps2 by the time i got Mm -hmm. to it you know uh i have no clue how to confirm that but he says and i find him to be believable that he experimented around with it and found the game to be harder every time that he would shoot more so who knows Interesting. But I love that games even have that kind of ability to be like folklore around video games. Yeah. Yep. I, I do like for anyone who hasn't seen it, there's an incredible video that I am trying to remember who actually put it up, but it's like the, the final mystery of shadow of the Colossus. And it's this big thing where it's like chronicling these people who for like 16 years, we're just building this story and this narrative and this folklore that there was a last Colossus in the game that was just no one had reached yet and that we hadn't figured out the exact puzzle pieces in order to get to the last Colossus. And then it kind of got revived when Blue Point did the remake because everybody thought, haha, now they'll really acknowledge it and there'll be a new chance and they'll build toward it. And to this day, it's just nothing's ever come of it. 
but it is a phenomenal thing to look at. There are pages upon pages of threads from different forums talking about it and people trying different ideas and showing weird things they learned. And that kind of stuff is amazing. I wish that Bluepoint and game developers in general would acknowledge more stuff like that. Like it would have been great if they had just put a different Colossus in the code, but there was no actual way to get to it. So people would be like, it's in the game. I see it. And it's just not not real. <laughs> well, what's funny is that the original game has those. Like the actual part of the reason that this myth even started is because someone got in and saw that there's code for multiple more colossi. Oh. Because the game at one point was going to be a multiplayer game. This is history lesson for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, there's a really great... When Bluepoint did the first remaster on PS3, there was a making of that they did, and they talked about what the game was, what the process was of remastering it. And one of the things is that Ueda originally wanted the game to be almost an MMO-style game where everyone was on horses, you all had like your own aggro, and you'd go through and you were taking down these colossi together. But the PS2 couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And so they had to take all the ones that they had designed and start scaling them back and finding ways to make them work on the PlayStation 2's hardware. And that's where a lot of the ideas for the world came from. All right, so we were we had an open world, but PS2 can't really handle that in a real way. So what do we do? Mm-hmm. We make it an open world still, but it's really empty. And then you tie that into the story and you keep going. Um, so yeah, there's like other Colossus that were completed for the other game mode, but just never got refined or used for the single player version that they ended up coming out with. So I love that. But I do think that blue point kind of learned something from that. Cause I don't know if you remember, there was a similar, much smaller moment on, um, the demon souls remake that they did where there was a new room that they added to the game that was not in the original and it was locked and people had no clue how to get it to unlock. And for, it took about three weeks of people trying to figure this thing out before someone finally managed to open it and find the new item they had built and put in this hidden room just as a little Easter egg for people to find. I think that they had fun <laughs> seeing people talk about maybe Bluepoint did this or this or that. And if you remember, the same thing was happening in the discussions around whether or not Bluepoint would, with Demon Souls, include the original uh, extra lodestone that was broken in the original game because mm-hmm. from software had ran out of money and just had to get what they had going. Yeah. So I, if I ever made a game, I would do like very, you have to do very specific stuff from minute one, you know, yeah. to get like a secret in the game and it would be something fun like that. I'd love to do that. I do feel like games as a whole kind of have shied away from that when I feel like definitely in the PS2, there was a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1, this is such a weird thing, but in Kingdom Hearts 1, early in the game, you can strike the, you, you have to strike the bell in Traverse Town three times to continue. Um, and later in the game, it's just a small thing. When you're in the Halloween Town world and you go up to Jack's house that they show in the movie whenever you know the, the mayor comes and he rings the doorbell. Well, you can ring the doorbell. Actually, it may not be Jack's house, but it's a house in there. You can ring the doorbell. Mm-hmm. And if you ring it, it doesn't do anything. And you ring it a second time, it doesn't do anything. But if you ring it a third time, you get it's like an elixir or an ether. It's something super small. But I just love that they were like, if someone sits here and hits this button enough times, we'll fucking give them something for it. Yeah, yeah that is cool. I love that kind of stuff. So, uh, but let's keep moving on to the next piece. Uh, I guess let's take a a quick step back. Actually, do you think this ties into the gears of effect, which was 
a lot of people thought was somehow tied to people can fly. Um, are you thinking that this is like a boots on the ground sci-fi shooter of some sorts? Or if you had to paint a picture with this name of what you thought this game was going to be, what would it be? Oh, I mean, it, kind of what I said before, I think it'll be a, a space religious thing. Like that's what it seems like to me. I I feel like this has got to be Santa Monica's new IP, right? Maybe. Maybe going back to sci-fi once again. Yeah, I mm. think so. Well, because they had said, well, no, that space game got canceled, so it who did. knows? <clears throat> but, <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, because I'm pretty sure that was Stig's game. It was, Before yeah. he left to make Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe this is a Rebel Moon tie-in or something. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, that brings us to the next piece of news, actually. Uh, And I I wrote it very quickly because it it doesn't really matter. It's more of a discussion around the piece. So there was an interview with one of the ex-devs that got laid off from um, the developer behind Immortals of Avium. As you may remember, that studio, uh, Ascension, if I'm remembering correctly the name, uh, was hit with layoffs after Avium did not really do very well. And in the interview, they actually spoke out and said that the combined budget for development and marketing and all was $125 million, which is not in the upper echelon of game cost, but it's pretty damn high for a studio's first game uh, and definitely under EA's sub-label, EA Originals. Uh, and I remember thinking, this seems like a big game for the EA Originals you know, moniker. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, as we all know, this game did not, the sales did not hit this mark. And the, if you're interested at all, you should go read the, the interviews. It has mentions of uh, a lot of people within the team feeling very hesitant to work on a big AAA game of this scale as the first title uh, and not wanting to try and push this that far and how a lot of those decisions that were made were to try and push it to the front with things like uh, using Unreal Engine 5 and whatnot. Um, and it was really kind of disappointing for me to read because one of the things that kind of hit me recently, and I think we all fall into it. Chris and I often talk about games that we would love to see get sequels, Days Gone being amongst them. Uh, and I think that there's a mix of reasons why, right? I think a lot of us feel like Days Gone didn't quite reach the peak of its uh, opportunity, its possibility, what it can do, what its idea had to offer. Uh, you could say that. But I also think that there's this thing that's happening where... Um, we're falling more and more into wanting things to just endlessly expand. And it does feel like as a society, we have a much harder time letting things die and move along and close and end. And I think the part of the reason you can see that is a lot of franchises, both games, movies, all sorts of things, uh, even bands, right? They'll come back and suddenly name their new album like Rob Zombie did Hellbilly Deluxe 2. Okay, all right. <laughs> and now, you know, and and we want, you know, people want there to be three more Star Wars movies, despite the fact that we've gotten three trilogies and a bunch of supplemental movies. And people want there to be more Marvel. And Marvel has so much going on for them right now. And this is not a quality judgment on really any of it necessarily, so much as it's the news of this made me acutely aware of how disappointing it is that something that really was trying to take quite a risk at this level. And I love the game. I adored it. Is it perfect? No. 
I wonder how much the game would have really been compromised if they would have settled on like a $60 million budget. What if this game wasn't Unreal Engine 5 and didn't have crazy motion capture to try and look like these people? Could its gameplay and story and everything still be told? But I think the real hit here that I'm having, and this kind of goes into all this, including the the Heretic Project as we're talking about, I'm glad to see this because... I'm glad to see that the Heretic Project, as bad of a name as I think it is, because it does at least show someone choosing to try and make something that is going to be different instead of continuously leaning on the same IP. And I bring that up because I think Immortals of Avium's failure at that budget is probably going to take a lot of games that were in the process of potentially getting greenlit around the time that Avium came out and flopped hard that were probably of a similar scale from early and newer teams that people suddenly got incredibly cold feet on. And I'm a little worried that we're going to see game studios or game publishers rather following the same things that we've seen a lot of movie studios do and only want to make really high budget games that take even longer to make and that they're going to be even more worried about doing in a new IP. So they're going to keep leaning on the same IP. And suddenly instead of getting what was once a new IP in God of War and now we're getting the 8th or ninth or 10th God of War game when we could be getting the next new IP that could become the next God of War. You, you know what I mean? Like, the cycle is a little vicious, and it sucks to see that this is where this landed. And I'm kind of curious to see where you land on this, Chris, because we both fall into wanting things to become entropic, where they just continue to expand. But I sometimes worry that we want that just because we liked something previously, and we're a little worried to admit to ourselves that even if something does come out and we like it, it might just be because we're consuming what's been put in front of us Mm -hmm. out of almost duty to being a fan (laughs) of something, you know, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have agreed more when I didn't, when I watched every Marvel movie at 3am the day before it comes out. Sure. The reason that I wanted to ask you, Chris is to speak on the point of what I'm talking about. I feel like, to some people's chagrin listening to this and saying, well, this is a PlayStation podcast. I'm a little surprised to hop on and hear half of the show's people say that they didn't like God of War Ragnarok and they didn't like Horizon uh, Mm -hmm. Forbidden West. And that's interesting because, in my opinion, it's not because of a hate of the series. You liked God of War 2018. Yeah. You liked Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. And so I think, for the most part, you enjoyed it. Enough to I complete beat it. it. Yes, I finished it. Exactly. So I think that speaks on something to the fact that the fact that you couldn't do this to either of these very big exclusives kind of means like you're bucking that trend. And as much as we want to see a game like Days Gone get a sequel, I don't necessarily want to see everything go on forever. So how do you kind of view that? Do you think that there's any real seemingly worry of that, at least in the AAA space? Um, I mean, I think... It would by be naive to say no. Um, I think it's clearly going to do something. I I say this to be. I, I'm trying to be nice about the way I'm going to say this, but I think your game just if you're going to spend 125 million dollars on a game, it needs to be better than Immortals of Avia. And that's not a really a crazy insult. I think that's just a fact of the matter, right? Where something like Helldivers is clearly triple a, or double A, I don't think it would it probably cost less than half of that, mm-hmm. and it's very successful because it's a forty dollar game, costs less than half of probably costs less than half of Immortals, and is doing very well. Mm-hmm. So 
I think if you're going to make that shot, you either make a small thing or you make something incredible, you know? And I think the problem is like when you're a lot of the new studios opening up right now, it's like, oh, there's, you know, this guy wrote all of the Witcher and the other dude is from Mass Effect. And everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. But I, I don't remember any of that with Immortals of Avium. I'm sure there oh, it, yeah. it is yeah. there. So I think it's one of those things where there's no, it, you have to have some kind of cachet if you want to do something like that. And, and that's not to say that you have to have, you know, you have to have that to make a good game. But I think if you're going to do something like this, which is off the wall and weird in a lot of ways, I mean, it's a magic shooter. That's weird, you know? In the so triple A sphere, for sure. Yeah, it's a weird concept, and, a, and it is cool, but that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. So that's really my thing, is I think you have to... I, I just don't think you start with $125 million. That just seems insane. But Yeah, I struggle because I want... You know, one thing that I think Jehudi mentioned early in the Discord when we were kind of having a micro-conversation around this was this idea of should we see studios make much smaller games basically of an IP and then continue to build up almost like we're seeing with Helldivers before eventually finally going for the the big with a, with a triple a game, uh, like maybe Helldivers three is mm-hmm. a, you know, $200 million destiny sized budget game. And I'm not saying I want to see that, but you can see that path as being something that could happen. Yeah. And I think that that's both a good idea if we're being practical to the developers, but like, hey, start small, make something that you know you can make for a reasonable price that you can reasonably understand to do this well. Uh, and, you know, don't go whole hog AAA immediately. But at the same time, I like to see new ideas and new brains entering into the AAA space because sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it does land and it does work and it sticks. Um, and I, it's... I'm of two minds of it, so it's just really hard to kind of go through. Uh, but there is a there is a lot of sage wisdom in saying, like, if you're starting off and you're a newer team and you don't really have the cachet that you spoke on, maybe even just, I, I really think a double A Immortals of Avium probably would have been, it probably would have scored very similarly, and it probably mm-hmm. would have sold more in line with the budget. Well, and I think stuff like this has to be, you have to do something more creative than just putting out the game i know that sounds crazy but like why didn't immortals of avium have like a 20 dollar or even free like five hour experience that came out before this one Mm. you know why didn't you play one of the a general who dies in the war or something like that so it gives you a sense of the world for very little investment right well, it's interesting you say that because do you remember that kind of being – it wasn't the exact same idea, but mm-hmm. a similar take on it was used for uh, another colossal failure by a lot of people's opinion, the Callisto Protocol. Ugh, yeah. You remember they had the the podcast series beforehand. I think mm-hmm. there was a demo you could play beforehand. Uh, all sorts of little things well, like that. <clears throat> let me – which I do think actually were good ideas. It's just unfortunately yeah. the game the game did not capitalize well on their actually pretty solid marketing plans. Well, it's like in my head, it's like kind of you know without talking too much about it. Like I've been working on something that you've been helping me with 
on the sure. side for a while, right? And I have I'm building I I'm building it in a way that to me it's like this could translate very easily to a video game down the line, right? Mm-hmm. But we're starting it the way we're starting it because it's easier to break in there. There's less. There's a good. It's not. We're we're not investing hundreds of millions of dollars, and there's less investment for the people out there to get involved in the world and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it's a better. Like if I had come to you and been like, "Hey, you want to split 125 million dollars and make a game out of this idea I have?" You know, that wouldn't work. But I think us going, let's make a card game and see if it works, and then it gets. You know, so naturally kind of blowing that up and then hoping okay this is really cool we've made some money let's go pitch it to a studio or let's go make a studio you know and i think that's the same kind of mindset that like something like immortals of immortals of avium needed you know again make a demo uh, a free totally separate experience a silent hill the short message but good you know that kind of stuff so (laughs) I just think there's a you need to prepare a lot more for a new IP than you do. Like you don't have to you don't have to get me to buy into Spider-Man, you know? And that's sure. the problem. You have to get me to buy into this. Yeah, and that's kind of the that kind of goes back to my thing though, right? Is that you don't need people to buy into a Spider-Man, which is an inherent benefit. But at the same time, it's just continuing more and more in terms of constantly building off of an existing IP. And that, I, I don't know. It's hard not to get a little jaded about it because it's kind of like, I do like seeing new things and I'm glad that we still do see a pretty solid list of new things still hitting the games industry. I bring that up because we saw Ghost of Tsushima, which came out and did really well. We saw Death Stranding game came out and did really well. Elden Ring is uh, a new IP, even though it's very clearly built on the back of an existing IP. Uh, mm-hmm. It still was something new, and it did a lot of different things within even its subgenre of being a Souls-like. Uh, so I think the games industry is still in a good spot there, and I hope that that stays the same. Um, but, you know, as with all things, you, it, you hate to see things slowly crash because of putting too much money into two and, and I'm not saying that to some degree Ascension's leadership is to blame to some degree EA is to blame for somewhere along the line either of these people should have been like this is a cool idea we like what you're doing but maybe we should scope the game back some maybe we should make this into a 60 million dollar game mm-hmm. you know like and again either of them it may be and I could almost wonder, maybe EA was pressing on Ascension and be like, we like the idea, push it up, do something bigger, do, go bigger. And they felt a pressure to do something using Unreal 5 and cutting-edge technology and all these different things. But somewhere along the line, it would have been nice for either of them to try and push back wherever that was happening and be like, listen, we really think it's smarter if we scale this thing back and do something smaller and shorter and and work it out. Because I think a lot of EA's originals, like EA Originals games that have been published, have been pretty successful it takes two was one of them um a way out was one of them i think the uh unraveled i think was the name of that series came out from ea original so they've done well yeah um so i think that there's definitely room to do so there um but every year there's got to be there seems to be a big swing and a fail last year or last year's was avium the year before that was callisto i mean we're just it's where we are in the industry i hope we don't see one this year i've been very surprised that the uh chris both we're we're both kicking ass in the metacritic draft so far this year i don't know if you've noticed we are except for my grand divers too 
Almost, I thought Grand Blue was doing well. Is it not in the eighties? Like a still? seventy-one or something. Last such. Maybe I could uh, be wrong. I thought it was low. Yeah, I, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I know at one point it was in the eighties. So here, yeah, which I think. If, I, if, if we can be honest real quick, I think it says more about the quality of the games coming out this year um, than it does necessarily on the level of our ability to choose hidden gems. I think this year is just a lot less volatile. It's a lot safer bets. <coughs> You're right. It's an 80, but Also, yeah, 80 solid. It's not That's bad. I'm not mad at that. Yeah. So... All right. With that in mind, let's keep going down through the list. Uh, I'm probably going to push the quadruple A up above and we'll finish on the Xbox. Uh, so with that in mind, Eve Gilmore has decided. <laughs> you like my French there, Chris? It was really bon, bon appetit. Yeah. Has decided to defend the price of skull and bones, or as you could call it, skull and commitment to the Singaporean government. <laughs> I like that, Chris. Yeah, uh, he said that the game costs $70 because it's a quadruple A video game. He went on to say that gamers will see how complete and full it is. So far, previews have not been going well for the title. And people who have been playing the game since closed beta have not been kind to it. And then Chris says, me, I've played it. It sucks. Look, <laughs> I didn't play it. Every step of the way, Skull and Bones has not looked up my alley. So yeah. before I even started trying to judgment, call it off of what was shown, I was just kind of like, it's not for me. I shouldn't say too much or think too much. But the more I see of it, the more I'm like, I'd be surprised if very many people find this to be this good. It's, yeah. Um, like if this was a free-to-play game, you might have. You might have something. Might. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem for me is the thing... I'm again a very opposite of most people, but I hate the boat stuff in the Assassin's Creed games, and that's what this is pitched as: is oh, let's do the black flag thing, but more games. And to me, that's no thank you. Um, but look, I have a buddy who I believe he listens to the show, but he is he's let me in on <laughs> Skull and Bones for a long time, and it's never sounded good. I've been hearing about it for years, so <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think the conversation to be had within this is we, we've said it a few times and we even kind of talked about an episode or two ago about the idea of at what point should we maybe start actually looking at modern games as quadruple A, not from an expectation standpoint, even though that is what would happen. If you told the general public who even knows what triple A means that you were cha- that you were that these new games were quadruple A, people's expectations would go crazy. But if we were actually going to start looking at the amount of time it takes to make them, generally the reception they get and the budget that goes into them, which is quite large for certain games. You know, you're looking at a Grand Theft Auto 6 is probably going to cost three to four hundred million to make, if not more. Um, so when you look at something like that, it, it doesn't seem too crazy to go quadruple A. But right now, when we're still in an industry that largely recognizes, you know, double A, triple A indie uh, as most of what we're seeing. Seeing people who are in higher up positions try and say to people who keep up with gaming news that, no, 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 you don't get it. It's because it's quadruple A. Something about it just seems so hollow and like they don't, they're just sniffing their own farts trying to make us believe what they don't even truly believe. And I find that weird because, of course, as much as people say Microsoft never said it, blah, 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 we've seen things that show that at some point, be it through mistake or whatnot, someone somewhere either made the mistake or thought it was a good idea to say that the 
perfect dark game being worked on by the initiative was a quadruple a game and you remember that, that was a big debacle and yet we see it here <laughs> nobody mentioned that game by the way thought that was interesting yeah anyway sorry Continue. well who, who would yeah. that game's not that game's probably not even being made as we speak chris I, i'll be <laughs> honest i hate to be that bleak about it but you build an entire studio and then pay a different studio to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just Chris, being, I'm being real here. Crystal Dynamics is a good studio. I think they do good work. Yeah, currently but at shitting what point on their should you have games, just? But. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but at some point, doesn't it make more sense to be like, "Fuck it, Crystal's making it. Initiative, go do something else, or yeah. just dissolve." <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> the question is, do when they buy Crystal, do you think they just rename them to the Initiative? <laughs> I hope not. That's one of those things where it's like, why waste the the name cachet that Crystal has, the history tied to the name? I mean, you know, if you're smart with these things, I'm. And look, maybe I'm not. Maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I often think some of the marketing is just done for you. I can't believe to this day. I was having this conversation with a friend who loves Dragon Guard Three, but wishes that it wasn't stuck on PS3 with a version that often plays in the teens or low twenties <laughs> frame rate. And I, I love the game. It's a fucking mess, but I love the game. But I've often said, like, after Nier Automata came out and slowly became like a eight to ten million selling game, I don't know why you and they didn't even really do it with with near replicant because you don't have to it has the near name in it uh but i don't know why they didn't just start going out and being like dragon guard dragon guard three from the creator of near automata if you put that on the case and you put that in the trailers for it people are going to be like fuck yeah i'm ready i can't wait to play this thing and yet it's never it's not been done so Something's happening. Maybe I'm not as uh, maybe I'm not as hiddenly clever as I thought, and maybe there's a reason why this is not so simple. But sometimes it feels like the marketing sells itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I don't recommend playing Skull and Bones, but look, Sea of Thieves later in the year. Just play Sea of Thieves, okay? Just do that, please, for the love of God. Just play Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is good. It'll be on it's PlayStation soon. Just leave it. Let play that. All right. Well, let's uh, let's work our way around to that. Then we're gonna go into the final piece of news we have here. The gears of the Xbox rumors have shifted. Tom Warren has now indicated that Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment will be the first games leaving Xbox's platform, with Sea of Thieves sailing to the PlayStation C later on this year. This comes after Xbox announced that Phil Spencer, Matt Booty, and Sarah Bond will be addressing Xbox's state of decay. <laughs> <laughs> You son of a bitch. Um, (laughs) Rumors have fluctuated since last week as some people like Nate the Hate have walked back rumors they previously stood by, but other places like Xbox Era have committed to theirs. If this makes you feel a bit psycho, you're not alone. Also, all will be revealed soon. Gears of War. So, look, let's kind of dive into this a bit. We know that it's coming this Thursday. We're finally going to get this podcast-style address that they're doing where they're going to have everyone sitting and talking in a free-flow manner about what the business plan is, which I find all of this to be incredibly weird. Every step of the way, this seems just odd, which makes me doubt a bunch of different things. 
I think it's pretty clear that it may not be as wide open as it was once being talked about, which is not too surprising. I always had my doubts of it. But I think it may even be less than I thought coming over if the way that they're choosing to announce this to the world is through a podcast. It's weird. It's weird, but there's also no better way to do it, honestly. I was about to say, what are you going to do, an E3 presser? I think the the biggest problem is the word podcast. You know, because if they were going on Howard Stern, it would be fine. But like, and that's just a long podcast. So, you know, I I don't know. This is whatever to me. It's like, okay, they're going to talk about it. At least it's not a press release. Yeah. I am. Here's where I'm confused, Chris. Sure. I would have thought that. If it's as simple that you can go on a podcast and talk about it, and that mm-hmm. it seems to be the preferred method, I am a little confused as to why you didn't just do a, a a press junket that explained it all and then did the podcast as extra. Like, here's the official word, and then we're going to come on and try and humanize it by having some of our heads be on here and talk openly with people who are not employed by Microsoft, but are, you know, (laughs) all these different things. And my point being is I would have thought that that's how they would have done it. Kind of like has done in the past where it's like Phil Spencer randomly is like, okay, I'm going to go on kind of funny games this morning. And I'm going to try and find a way to humanize this piece of news that we've given out, which is good it's effective and it actually is a very commonly used form of pr Mm -hmm. that's why i'm so confused about this and i don't know if it's just because they feel like by the time they were able to get something under their wings before they realized that everybody knew a good chunk and then it also continued to potentially snowball into something not true that they were just like there's no way for us to get out from under it so we're just going to do it all at once no extra anything we're just going to get it done Along the way, I'm I'm just not smelling what they're stepping in. That's I'm confused. Well, from what I understand, this was supposed to happen in the summer. I think Jess Gordon tweeted that out recently that they were going to have this address in the summer, and then everything being leaked uh, pushed it all up. Um, I yeah. think the reason you don't do a blog post first is because because I mean what. In that situation, what are you thinking? They do them both in the same day? Because you can't put out a blog post without Phil Spencer massaging it. And that's that's what the reason that's not a blog post is because all three of these people are going to massage the shit out of this. I mean, of course, but that was always going to happen, even if it was a small thing. It's it, it's gotten so out of hand in the internet sphere of people, and you you know this because of what we talked about last week. People making very hasty decisions, to a degree, including you selling the Xbox, though you hardly ever played it, so it's not really a big loss. Yeah. Even if even if it doesn't come out to be true that what you thought was going to happen, right? It's not that big of a deal. You can always buy another Xbox if it really comes down to it. You have a PC if it really comes down exactly. to it. Um, and so with that in mind, you're a little different. But, you know, the people who have been Xbox ride or die for a long time and built their influencing career off of it, suddenly throwing caution to the wind and just being like, I'm done with Xbox. That that adds a weird element to this. Well, that was always because it's like, 
Oh, know? yeah. I mean, I agree. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that a large portion of the way that the internet is going to view Xbox is going to be through the lens of these people who have been very pro Xbox. So if you have a lot of people who have been very pro Xbox, including the likes of Jess Corden, who oftentimes acts like he's not a fanboy, but in many, many, many ways that he is. And I, it's fine. I don't care. I mean, I like PlayStation. I get it. But mm-hmm. if you have someone who usually champions them as much as that, even kind of going, hey, I'm making jokes at this expense and it's becoming pretty clear that the need for an Xbox is going to start decreasing. I don't know how you really try and deal with that from the behind the scenes because if any bit of it's true, you have already lost your ability to have the upper hand to just come out and immediately go, we're throwing all these rumors, we're laying into bed right now, none of this is true, no reason for everybody to freak out and think this, it's not true, period. You lose the ability to do that once even a shred of it's true. Mm-hmm. Because the moment <laughs> of shred of it's true, you suddenly have to explain explain why you've reached this conclusion, why you're doing it, and then you have to massage and sell it, as I've been saying, to the core group of people that you still want to support you. And I've been often wondering, what's the sell? Regardless of how many games are coming over, what are they doing to sell it? I keep wondering, is it... See, I oh, think the sell is easy. Personally. I think the sell is easy, too. And I think the sell is, these games make sense to move over here. We've bought Activision Blizzard. We want to put a lot more games day and date on Game Pass. But to do that, we need more income coming in off of these games. So we're going to do that by putting certain games over there. There will still be real exclusives. And then sometimes <laughs> they'll just be timed exclusives to where we can continue to make money. And I think the flip, the, the potential second a leg of that uh, plan is to say this is also so that we can stave off a price increase for Game Pass while we want to make this move because we can start making that income from the other side to account for what we would have otherwise had to increase price on. Here's what I'm wondering. And I, I think, not to shit talk, but to shit talk a little bit. The is I think we've seen over the past few years that the X, the, the vocal part of the xbox community is not mature enough to handle this but what if phil spencer just came out and went 20 million consoles is not enough yeah (laughs) and he just said we will curate an xbox experience for you guys we're still gonna make consoles we're still gonna do cool stuff for the people playing on xbox but we can't afford to make the games you want if it's there only on Xbox and only in Game Pass. Because that, you know, that's the hard reality of we can close down Xbox, then you don't have a console. You know, these either get sold off to Sony anyway, or they go off in the wind and disappear. Or we put fucking Starfield on PlayStation for 70 bucks. You know, like, what's the... <laughs> I think it's I mean yes I get what you mean it's it's across the board it's a tough bridge to walk because I think that what they've really landed on, and I understand, and I even kind of commend them for having the balls to do this, right? And I mean, initially, they had a very easy off-ramp, in my opinion. People would have still been pissed, but I think people would have been more understanding if ahead of the new generation, they would have been like, listen, 
we're seeing our business model go a different way. We are wanting to focus on value and being able to bring good games and not having to worry about where they're at. And so we're doing this decision now. And the part of the reason I think that would work is because it gives an off-ramp for people to go, new consoles are coming. I've, I can easily decide not to buy an Xbox because I can go to the, the system that I feel like is still going to get these games and do that. And it basically, it gives you choice. The problem right now that comes from it is that if you've made your investment into Xbox, I think that's what's happening here. And I get it because I think, if we're being honest, if you do the same thing from, from PlayStation side and PlayStation, who sold you on this idea of exclusives and all these games that we're going to have, came out tomorrow and said, listen, guys, we're going third party. All of our games are going to be everywhere. No exclusives, no nothing. The PlayStation side of all of these social media sites would be just as in flames. Maybe sure. even worse, if I'm being honest. No, I don't think so, personally. But at least you'd have a similar reaction. I think everyone can clearly imagine yeah. that and can see it for what it is. And the reason being is because of what I just said. You've been sold on this idea of what PlayStation 5 was and what PlayStation behind that was. And that idea is being shifted dramatically. And I think it would hurt PlayStation people more in the sense that there wasn't even a cushion into it in the same way that Xbox has. Like Xbox has been expanding onto other platforms in roundabout ways for a while. So it's not that weird in comparison to be like, we're just going to go on everything that will have us for certain games. But it still does mean that people who feel like they made a real call to be like, I bought an Xbox because I was promised that I was going to get exclusives on multiple occasions. You said this acquisition is about is, is about putting out exclusive games for Xbox fans and people who have Game Pass. And now you're killing that. You're not living up to what you said. And plans have to change sometimes. So it is what it is. But I think that... I give them credit for having the balls to be like, we clearly lost last generation. We are blatantly aware of the fact that we lost a bad generation to lose and we're still going to try our damnedest to spend three years trying our best to claw, like, claw our way back up to be competitive again. And I almost respect having the if, of course, this depends on what happens Thursday. I can honestly respect being able to be like, guys, we really tried. We've yeah. been trying for 10 years. It didn't happen. This is what we've got to do to still be able to offer you the other value that we think we can still offer you, that, that the competition is yeah. not going to offer you. Because PlayStation, people keep thinking that it's going to happen, but PlayStation has been pretty blatantly clear that there is not a, a future where you're going to be getting day-and-date exclusives anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Helldivers isn't on there. Exactly. And it's a <laughs> game where you could almost see the reason to do it. Yeah, I would love it. Look, I think, <laughs> I think the thing is, I for me, if I was them, I would just be like, "Listen, we've been behind Sony every generation, and it's just getting worse. This is the only way that we survive. It's that simple." And yeah. I mean, it's also, it's also an outrageous proposition because what's going to happen? Once Xbox goes third party, if the, again, if that's the case, they're the biggest publisher in the world. So it's a ridiculous notion to be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we're going to die if we don't put our games on PlayStation. But are they still the biggest publisher in the world if they don't start putting their games on PlayStation? No. 
So, you know, you can't be the biggest publisher when you're putting your games on TVs with cloud streaming and Xbox with 20 million consoles, or I guess 30 million consoles. So it's just a reality that it's just going to, in order for them to survive, it's over. And the reality is this, the, the interesting part is there was so much fanboy war between both sides about this Activision Blizzard thing. And the reality is the Activision Blizzard thing is why this is happening. <laughs> At least it, it probably pushed it along further, right? I think that this was probably something that has been somewhere in Microsoft saying, like, listen, if our fates don't turn, here's our dead, deadline date of where either Xbox sales have to increase enough or Game Pass subscriptions have to increase enough to stave this off. And then when you go, well, guys, we're going <clears> to <throat> buy Activision. And they go, fine. But once that happens, if we don't, now our deadline is 2024. Yeah. So if we don't see a big turnaround by 2024, because you think it took them two years almost to acquire Activision. Yeah. So if at the if when they first agreed to allow you know Phil Spencer to throw out the checkbook and say we're coming for you, Activision, I wouldn't be surprised if it came with the caveat of by 2024 we want to see results, or if we get Activision, then to make that purchase make sense. If Game Pass numbers aren't here and if console sales are not here, the only way that we can really move forward is by selectively taking some of our titles and putting them in places where they are clearly able to be sold and have a market for. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be hard to go to, you know, Satya. Because they say it in the emails and the FTC stuff. They, for, I don't know if it's for winter for goad, but they gave up. 10 million copies of Starfield. Yeah. And that's projected. What? But yeah. 70% of 70, uh, $500 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and you got to think Sachi looks at that and goes, what the fuck are we doing here? Right. And obviously not every game is like that, but <laughs> it's hard to justify being like, yeah, we're not going to give up $700 million or we're going to give up $500 million that we could be getting by putting this on PlayStation and also nobody's buying our consoles. And also as the war and peace states, um, they're at about, about an estimated 33 million game pass, uh, subscribers, subscribers. So you just look at all of that stuff and it's not hard to see why the dominoes are falling where they're falling. You know, you know, I'm, I think it'll be really interesting, and this is kind of like where I'm at. I think it'd be really interesting to see Starfield stay truly exclusive or even still stay exclusive for longer before they announce it. And the reason that they say that is like the only way we can justify having truly big exclusives is if some of our smaller games that have room to perform well outside of what we paid for them is if we, we can put them over elsewhere. And I think you already kind of saw that because Microsoft already allowed that with Ori being on Switch, right? Again, Microsoft's been toying with these ideas a lot. We saw it with As Dusk Falls, another yeah, game from them that came over here. And yeah, th those are kind of like the death by a thousand daggers. You're not going to really notice the one game and be like, this is a signal for the end. But I think that they've been doing this slowly, but surely to see what kind of return they get when these games do come over, how it impacts their business. I actually don't think it's too crazy that As Dust Falls came out not long ago. There's been enough period to see it get about a quarter, uh, a fiscal quarter's worth of sales to see maybe what kind of business they were missing out by having that game only be on Xbox and PC. 
And they're able to extrapolate that and go, well, if we take a game like Pentiment and a game that's long into its life like Starfield or uh, like uh, CFDs and, and a game like Hi-Fi Rush that is sold through anything that it's going to do and we move those over and we see a similar rate of return, that can help us keep games like Avowed and Starfield and, you know, Fable exclusive and we can actually foot that bill. I, but, I, you know, who look, knows? I, I disagree with you. Because you're telling me, I'm trying to think of the right analogy, but you're basically sitting here being like, I'm going to give you, you know, chicken crispers, but we're not going to give you steak. And guess what? Not everyone's going to eat fucking chicken crispers, man. Not everyone is going to have an appetizer. You're you're talking about appetizers. They're not going to see the money they're going to see from Starfield. Yeah. And it does. I, I'm sorry, man. As someone who works in restaurants, I can tell you very, I tell you very well that the selling appetizers only is not going to move the needle for anybody. Well, and look, unless you're going to sit here I, I and get, say that, I get what you mean. But what I kind of mean, because look, let, let's take it back to what Sony's doing to a degree, right? We're seeing sure. a smaller version of it right now. Hell Divers is coming out on PC day and date. All right, and I think we all understand the reason for that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it feels rather obvious. An online-oriented game, co-op, that is going to live and die off of whether or not people give good word of mouth around it and people play it, and there's an active online community. It makes most sense to get that out on as many consoles or as many devices that we, again, PlayStation's own current marketing scheme mm-hmm. of it's either PlayStation or PC, and that's it. Yeah, That's how it works. Um Unless they don't have control over it, like with Death Stranding. Well, Death Stranding still hasn't hit Xbox, but more like MLB. <coughs> um, so my point being here is that we're seeing PlayStation do exactly what I'm talking about. Well, we can justify having games like The Last of Us Part Two be exclusive for you know for a certain period, or uh, God of War Ragnarok come out as a PS4, PS5 because we're putting it on PS4. And we're putting games like Helldivers on PC day and date. And we're going to put games like uh, Fair Games and uh, Common, whatever the game's called. <laughs> I almost call it Commodore. I don't think that's it. Condor, Concord? Con- Con- Concord. Um, Concord, yeah. Yeah, we're putting both of those games day and date on those. And it's because they're looking at being like, part of our strategy is games that are expensive, but they sell pretty well. Uh, and we keep them exclusive for a long period of time before eventually going to PC doesn't really hurt the fact that they are not exclusive anymore. And we do that by letting these other games kind of float the bill in the in-between until we feel ready to move these games off. Now, Microsoft's kind of skipping that out, right? Because they're going to PC day and date. But that's also because they don't have enough console sales to avoid that, realistically speaking. Like, they have to go PC day and date because otherwise they're only putting a game out to a, an audience of 20 million, of which every given every game is only going to have a certain percentage of those 20 million who are even interested in it. Therefore, you have only so many, you know, only a certain level of return you can expect. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I get what you mean, but I think it's just one of those things where, I think that there's a very easy story to be told of piecemealing games out, and we see PlayStation doing the same thing. Yeah, I agree with piecemealing games out, but you piecemeal your big exclusives like Starfield after a year because uh, Pentiment, Hi-Fi I, Rush, and Sea of Thieves just don't move the needle. As much as, as, excited, it, yeah. as excited as I am for Sea of Thieves and, 
and I'm gonna play Pentiment and I'll buy Hi-Fi Rush. Those those don't those are not gonna sell millions of copies. Those are not gonna do what this is doing. If if those are the only types of games that are coming out, they shouldn't do this at all. Because this is just fucking your fan base, for one. You're now putting in question every single game that comes out that gets announced that comes out for Xbox exclusively for what? So you can sell 50, 1500 copies of hi-fi rush, 150,000 copies of sea of thieves, or you put out halo MCC and sell 5 million. Like it's a, I think it's a very clear, and, like, and there's I get where you're no coming reason. from. But I want to like focus in on Starfield for a second, and I'm I'm sure that this is going to be considered to be overblown from what I'm about to say. So uh, we'll consider it a dramatization of what may actually happen. Uh, in a world, discords, <laughs> in a world where Starfield released on PlayStation day and date. Um, listen, what I'm what I'm really trying to get at is I think Starfield's a good example of a game that even people who have Xboxes and don't really have as much uh, pull and or worry about what PlayStation has going on have raised some issues with Starfield and its design and the type of game it is. And I think that there's a relatively easy argument to be made that if you're going to take a game like Starfield and try and come out with it a year later, that's a game that I actually think may have been impacted by the fact that it's had a year on these other platforms where people have been like, yeah, this game doesn't really do as much as you might expect for a normal Bethesda game. It doesn't hit the same marks. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't have the same ideas behind it. And they forsake some of the things that you loved in an effort to try and do something new. And therefore I almost wonder if you really stay, if you really Starfield day and date on PlayStation uh, five, I can see that 10 million projection, probably for sure being hit. But I think when you give it a year of hearing people kind of be like, yeah, it's not quite the game that we thought we wanted from Bethesda and it's just not quite hitting the mark. Does that 10 million that would have been there day and date when you do it a year down the line, is that just a million, two million? What happens? And I'm not saying that as a for sure, but what happens when a game, when this happens with a game outside of the limelight? And the reason I bring that up is because we see that happen with PlayStation exclusives on PC, right? Ratchet comes out on PC and sells about a million. Returnal comes out on PC and sells about a million. And God of War comes out on PC and sells about 2 million. And God of War sold like 25 million units on PS4. You get what I'm saying? You're muted. That's kind of... Where are you at, Chris? <laughs> no, my headphone. I hit a button and all the noise canceling went away, and it was super weird. Um, the future is now, oh, Chris. Oh. Yeah, no. Um, I just, I don't know. I'm trying because your argument is not bad, but I think it's very clear that, to me anyway, that they're sure. expecting more from this. And I, I, I just, I see what you're saying, but even a million dollars, even if they sell. A million a units of Starfield. million units of Starfield. That's still going to. I would be willing to put money on the fact that that will still be more than Pentiment, Hi Fi Rush, and Sea of Thieves sell on PlayStation together. You know, so. Maybe, though, to be fair, Sea of Thieves has an extra layer of monetization within it, which makes that game really hard to compare because there's a chance that Sea of Thieves actually makes as much money as a million copies would have 
because of the fact that there's going to be a few whales who jump in and are like, fuck yeah, $40 ships. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Not I me, know. But, you know. I'm going to buy the ships. I understand that. But but I think you're you're probably more right on a game like Pentiment or Hi-Fi Rush that don't have sub-monetization within them, right? Yeah, but it's even like, Sea of Thieves, right? You're gonna, if you're going to count the monetization, you also have to ca- count the server upkeep and the fact that they're paying sure. Rare to work sure. on this game. So arguably, depending on how much it sells, it's a, it's a loss. You know, <laughs> like... Again, I doubt that, but I get your. I'm point. being facetious. It, it is, yes, but. yeah, it is definitely technically possible. There, but look, I mean, let's let's kind of round this up. We got a couple of questions in a Velvet's uh, corner today that we want to get to, and this we're already going to go along. Look, it's fun to postulate and wonder and and kind of theory craft of what we think is going to happen and why, uh, but. A, we'll have a much better idea of what's actually going to come and not come, I imagine, after Thursday. Uh, so we can reconvene next week and kind of see if any of what we've said has been, if we get clues that show that either of us are more in the the right or if both of us are entirely wrong on how they anticipate things to go. Um, but also, why not just wait until we have solid word? Because... There's a very, very small likelihood that we're talking about all this and it doesn't matter. I still think it's worth the conversation because it goes to explain why a company as big as Microsoft may be not happy with the performance of something like Game Pass. But, you know, yeah, but what do you think? Everything we talk about doesn't matter because we don't work at either of these companies. So, Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> we're just <laughs> having the conversation, you know. Yeah. But when so we're Brett, this close is, to uh, new information, you know. Well, Blade is on PlayStation, right? I mean that's very clear at this point, correct? Uh, I I think that this was always in the making, and that is why Blade did not get branding. Yeah. Here's an interesting one though for you. While mm. we're talking about that, if they knew back during the the Game Awards that this was something that was probably in the works, yet when they do the developer direct a month, month and a half later, they overtly state that Indiana Jones will be an exclusive and now rumors are saying that it's not. What do you think is going on there? Do you think it's just that Indy's not going to be a multi-platform game and it will actually be exclusive? No. The Blade is far enough away that they see the value of being like, yeah, we're just not going to give it a console. A console launch exclusive. That will be their mantra from now on. I would not be surprised. That's kind of almost everyone in the industry's mantra these days. Yeah. <laughs> except Final Fantasy VII, apparently. Well, and except Nintendo. I mean, yeah. Nintendo are fucking... I kind of love that about Nintendo. I almost wished I liked more Nintendo IP, but <clears throat> going back into that idea of, of new IP, Nintendo are the fucking worst about just being like, yeah, we're going to make new entries in the same seven IPs until we implode. <laughs> Woo! Um, You're still going to buy them. Yeah, somebody's going to be working on fucking Super Mario 74 Deluxe Smash whatever, and it's going to be like as the sun's gas is like fading and starts to crumble in on itself. Yeah, exactly. All right, read some questions, bro. All right, man. Uh, as you may know, if you follow our socials, so you can go over to uh, Twitter at TriangleSQRD and find us there, or in the Discord that we've linked and, of course, the Facebook, though we don't deal with it too much. Facebook is not really Chris or I's thing. So we just kind of 
have it over there. But, you know, we try our best to keep up with it. But you can ask us questions pertaining to what we're talking about. We put out a, a blast saying a rough idea of what we're going to talk about before we do the episode. Give you an opportunity to throw some questions our way. And this first one, uh, I'm going to get out of the way, is a, a little more generic. And it comes from Mr. Judy MD. And it's a simple question. How many unspent gift cards do you have sitting around your home? And which store is the one most common? I got to tell you, I like gift cards. And most people who buy me gift cards buy gift cards to things I actually actively use. So I think the longest I've had one sit is from Christmas until about last week. I had a Chick-fil-A gift card for $10 that was sitting on my game room table because I hadn't quite planned to go there anytime soon. But Every Sunday, now. you're like, you know what? I could use some fucking chicken. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, my answer may be interesting. Um, I don't have any because I hate gift cards, and everyone in my life knows that I despise gift cards. Let's dig into this a bit. Why? Is it because you think they're too impersonal? <laughs> or is it just because you don't like that? Like, would no, my, you answer is, cash? my answer is way more selfish than that. Okay. I've been vocal about my dislike of gift cards because I think gift cards <laughs> force you to spend more money on gifts. <clears throat> and here's always my argument, right? I could go to Barnes and Noble and buy you a $5 book off the rack and you would appreciate that gift. But if I gave you a $5 Barnes and Noble gift card, I would be an asshole. And that's why that's I actually- hate gift cards. That's pretty legit. I'll give you that. I hate Though it's them. funny, you think that. I think you're right that most people would. I would actually be totally fine with a $5 gift card. No, You say that, you would be fine to my face, but that gift card would go in a drawer and you would forget because it's not even worth carrying in your pocket. Well, first of all, I just told you I had a $10 Chick-fil-A gift That's card. And the only reason That's a meal. I'm never over there. That's a you're full right, it's meal. Food. That's food. You're right. That's a little different. <laughs> but my general point is, this goes. This depends on who you are. My Chris, the place I work for does Christmas stuff, right? And every year they have a Christmas get together, and for every five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, so you know, like those those breaks for years of service at that company, they give you something. Mm-hmm. Well, my ten years was this Christmas, and they gave me a North Face jacket that's that's branded with the company's name, and they gave me a fucking cooler bag yeah. that is branded with the company stuff and a, an American flag. Two things that I will probably never use. I don't wear jackets very often. I get hot really easily. I don't like them. I like the cold. I never go anywhere where I need a cooler. I don't drink. I don't do things where you'd normally be like, fuck yeah, cooler. <laughs> and I legit, someone was like, that's fucking cool. Aren't you so excited? And I was like, I would have literally rather had $10, $20, $50. I would have had, I would have rather had some value than shit that I feel bad if I get rid of, but it's taking up space in my house unimportantly now <laughs> yeah but i'm not talking about like a company but right? you're right but my, my general point is that that same type of decision making is what makes me be okay with a ten dollar gift card as long as it's somewhere i'm gonna use that's cool okay that's really my rule i don't care how much it is as long as it's a place i'll use if you gave me a five dollar gift card to chipotle i'd still be like fuck yeah that's a third of my burrito let's go baby 
but if it's you gave a me a third of the burrito, that's it's the five dollars. I don't have to play, bro, pay, dude. Uh, I, but I'm not saying I'm the usual. I know that I'm the outlier here. <laughs> I genuinely don't believe that if I gave you a five dollar, like I'm, I'm okay. Let me Chris, that. first of all, I'm let positive. me take a second to tell you something. Uh huh. You're a thoughtful gift giver, and I that appreciate it. Yes. So I do to, to to pull back the curtain, look, I am notorious for feeling like most holidays are really dumb and we spend a lot of excess money on things that people don't need in an effort to try and be nice to people. That said, considering that that is exactly still what you got me for Christmas, I still thought your gifts were very nice. They were <laughs> well thought out. And there was an obvious look of you tried beyond the bare minimum. And I appreciated that. And I remember thinking when I I already knew you were going to get me something because you got me something last <laughs> year and it surprised the shit out of me. Yeah, yes. To be fair, I shouldn't have been too surprised because I have sent you fucking pretzels from Bucky's until they decided to get rid of them <laughs> every single time that I could. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess that our, our rapport is that we send each other shit sometimes. But I knew this year I had to get you something. And as it kept getting closer, I was like, I feel like this is too expensive. It's actually, I want you to go through exactly what happened. So the gift that I got you is the first gift that came to mind when I first started thinking I need to get Chris something. And that mm. was about a week and a half before I received your present. <laughs> and then I received your present. I was like, fuck, <clears throat> I definitely got to get Chris something. Okay. And then I started thinking, well, how, that seems like a lot of money, but it's, it's what I wanted to get you. Mm-hmm. For the most part. What you got is mostly what I wanted to get you. I cha- I changed the picture. <laughs> but those disc plates are kind of expensive. And they I remember are, yeah. being like, is spending $70 on Chris going to make him feel like he didn't spend enough on me when I don't actually care? That You know what I mean? So you say that's very funny, and now we're, we're, we're measuring dicks. <laughs> Mine was more expensive than that. <laughs> that is good to know because... <laughs> The the one element of yours that I was genuinely like, eh, I don't know on. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how much he paid for that fucking Sora lines that pop because <laughs> that is not currently being made. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that, who knows? But yeah, whenever I was doing that, and then I was going through and I was like, I don't know what Chris spent on me and I, I don't care. I'm not worried about spending more or less or anything, but <clears throat> I always worry that the person I get the gift for may get mad or the inverse. If they feel like they didn't spend enough, they'll be like, oh shit, I underdelivered." or that asshole, he didn't even spend nearly as much as I spent on him. And wow. I don't actually have that worry of you, but it is an interaction that can happen around Christmas very easily. Yeah. And that- so... If 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 you had come to me and been like, I spent more on you, I would be like, okay, I mean, yeah, maybe, and I'd never get you anything ever again. So, <laughs> yeah, like, and I would have never done that, but I was because I didn't know from you. I was like, I'm trying to play it safe, but after it became clear, because I'll tell you, going through my thought process, my next step down was I was going to do like what a lot of my posters that you saw when you were down here are, which are legitimately five dollar posters from. Walmart or they're like the uh, the marketing posters from GameStop they used to send us. Sometimes even like the the infamous two one that's back here in the corner. Mm-hmm. That is literally the end of the gondolas where you'd hang stuff up with those little plastic clips. Right above where it says infamous two, there was a black line that said GameStop Power Up Rewards 
<laughs> sign up for your card today. And I took it to my mom's work at the time, which I still go there. It's a framing shop here called Turner, called Turner's. And they do what's called dry mounting. They take either the paper poster or that thick cardboard and they mount it onto this thicker substrate and give it a coating that makes it waterproof. And I was at that point, I was like, instead of doing a display, I'm going to see if I can find Chris, a persona five poster anywhere that is reasonable, good size, and that I can get in at a reasonable pace. And I just couldn't find one. Mm-hmm. So then after enough going back and forth, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to go with what my gut thing was to begin with. I'm getting him a disc plate. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I did. And it's there. I got, I hung it up. And I hope that you enjoy it for all that I it do. is. I literally, I opened it with Sadie and I was like, so, cause first of all, you had warned me and you'd been like, I don't <laughs> know if I can, if you'll be okay with this. And I'm like, whatever you want. So then she, she, we get it, and I'm like, oh, that's from Brett. Why don't you open it? And then I went, should she? <laughs> I was like, fuck it. And then you actually pulled it out and was like, that was fucking sick. So it was great. Yeah. But that's like my philosophy on gift giving. Like the, sing, the thing I hate the most is when people go, what do you want for Christmas? Well, that's not the fucking point. Because yeah, the real fair. answer is just give me fucking money. Because yeah, if, that if is you're my not, genuine answer. If you're not going to go and be like, you know, Oh, I think I think he'd like this because that's how I get all of my presents, which is how one of my family all agrees on this. My brother is a big gun guy. And Mm. when I was shopping for him, I don't ever ask that question. I just find stuff that I think people would like and I get Mm -hmm. it. And what I got from my brother was a doormat um, for his house. And it has a picture of a frog holding a shotgun on it. And it says, (laughs) hippity hoppity, get off my property. Yeah, and nice. it's the it was a fucking awesome gift. Everyone loved yeah. it, you know. And you don't get that. It's you know when you're like, "What do you want?" And you know, it's like with Sadie. It was like, "Well, what do you want?" And I'm like, "I don't." Just you, you're my girlfriend. You know me. Just pick something. And eventually, she just kept asking. I was like, "Persona 3. and I got it fucking last week. You know what I mean? So, or yesterday. Yeah. So I well, hate that. It's the same with. Gift I try cards. and just, give people the. I know that people show love in very different ways. Some people are not gift givers. Like they don't, they don't, they can't do it. And so because they feel like a tradition, it's a tradition they're supposed to be involved in. They just want to ask what to get you. So they know they don't get you something super pointless. I get it because I think of myself as someone who has a bunch of crap that I really, I really don't need. And then I think, God, if everyone just sent me a bunch of crap I didn't need for Christmas, it'd get worse. And I already do it bad enough on my own, you know? Um, yeah, but I think, and so I have is, that part of me that's like, I'm real utilitarian. Like I'm like, I would rather it be something that I know that they want and need, but I also know I'm on the edge of that line where I know that most people don't want that. So I yeah. usually don't ask, I didn't ask you what you wanted. No, I know better. I know that's <laughs> not what most people want to do, but I very much, this sounds, I get your point, Chris. I would almost rather people get me nothing. Mm hmm. Or come to me and be like, what do you want? So I can be like, here's something I would never buy on my own, but I could definitely use. And yeah, just give them a list of those things. It's that's, kind of impersonal, but... It's not even that it's impersonal. It's, quite frankly, you're putting far too much pressure on that person. Like my brother my brother for yeah. my birthday was took me to Best Buy and was like, pick something. And it was the worst fucking thing he could have possibly <laughs> done. Because... You know, and my brother, my brother does very well for himself, but I hated that. Because yeah. everything I wanted, I looked at the price and went, he can afford that and it's inappropriate for me to want it, to ask him for that. It's inappropriate. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to, I think I, he got me a, uh, the, the mouse in my, my speakers. But it's like, what I really needed was a fucking monitor, but am I going to ask him to pay for that? No, that's fucking outrageous. 
it, it, the thing for me, right, and the thing for you, right, like, I know you like Kingdom Hearts, which is why I got you a Kingdom Hearts Tomagotchi, a shirt, and the fucking Sora thing. And we talked about the Sora lion, so I saw it, and I was like, I'm buying that. Like, that was why, <laughs> that's how that whole thing came came together. But I am, like, I have two things in my life that I love, is the Red Sox and video games. So how fucking hard is it to pick a goddamn gift for me? <laughs> I'm dead serious. I have a fucking shelf over there. So if you're worried about the PS5 things, all you got to do, my brothers have to do, is come to my house when I'm not here, look at the shelf and be like, oh, he doesn't have that. Let me order it. And then I would care. I would love it. Right? It's To me, it's just what frustrates me is like I spend my time thinking about it. So I try, even if, I do not give a fuck if you don't actually need it, but you know that yeah, sure. I thought about it. 100%. It's that simple. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna ask you for what I want because everything I want, I can either buy myself or if I don't have it, it's because it was too expensive. So why am I gonna ask you for it, right? <laughs> like, I'm not gonna ask someone in my life for a uh, a good pair of chef knives because it's fucking a thousand dollars. I'm not buying it, so why would you? <laughs> you Chris, know? good on you that you have the ability to control yourself when someone says brings you into a store and says pick what you want because I would push that to its conclusion quick i would and i don't mean that to be taking advantage i do i'd be in my mind the entire time i'd be like teach them never do this to anybody again if i were you i would have immediately went over and been like you see this 13 14 1700 oled tv there we go that's it well that that was the thing that annoyed me the most is i was like how much and he wouldn't tell me and i'm like you're making this worse it was the most stressful fucking night of my life because like different if he goes hey anything 50 dollars or lower pick it okay Fair yeah. enough. But if you bring me to the store and say, pick something out, and then I go, how much? And you go, man, I'm like, oh, let's go. <laughs> and then when you tell me no, when I ask for the OLED TV, I want to make you feel like a dick. Because I'm like, you brought me to the store, told me I can get <laughs> anything I wanted, and then I choose something and you say no? What? You wasted my fucking time? And that was the ironic thing. is he, I, I told him, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like this monitor. And he goes, a little expensive. He didn't say no. So a little expensive. And I'm like, all right, fucking whatever. <laughs> we'll find something else. <laughs> See, I'd have been like, so is that a yes or a no? Right. I... I don't know, man. I don't think that's Look, the thing. The holidays for me are, and especially we I got off this tangent with gift cards, but there, it's not, it's not about the monetary value or what it is. You like the perfect example is you or for, with Blake, right? Mm-hmm. I bought Blake one new criterion and then I just gave him all of my movies. I spent like that's $30 baller ass gifts, yeah. but he knows that I know he likes movies. I knew that he didn't have all the Ghibli movies I had. So I fucking gave them to him. I'm like, you yeah. will like these more because that's, that's a, that's a better gift. I went, well, what do you want? And he goes fifth fucking citizen Kane in French and a, and a, and a grappling hook, you know, like that's not, it's, it's just not as good a gift. It's same with you. It's like, you're, I don't even know if you opened that Tamagotchi, and I don't care. But no, I actually it's I didn't. Cool, it's sitting. It's cool. Exactly. Yeah. I don't cool. want to play Tamagotchi. It is. It is. You can't see it's off camera. But yeah. I've got the Sora Kingdom Hearts one pop that's in the casing that has the Kingdom Hearts background inside right. of it. And so I've got that staged. I've got the Tamagotchi propped up against that, and then I've got the Sora line. Unfortunately, the box kind of got messed up, which I don't love. I think I may take it out. I'm trying to make that decision, but it's <laughs> it's right beside it. Yeah, and that was the thing. It was, for me, I've worn the shirt multiple times. Yeah, you've worn it on the choice. show. But like, <laughs> I 
I got that Tamagotchi because I was like, this is funny because it's a kingdom. It's like, who is in there? Like Sora, I think is in there. It's Kyrie. Like, oh, yes. See, I didn't realize that, but we can pretend I thought that through. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's literally Kyrie as a Tamagotchi. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thought that was really interesting, though. It actually would have made far more sense for you to raise a heartless up and be able to play <laughs> games with it and have it evolve into stronger heartless. Yeah, I actually may have opened it if it could convey any of that to me, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't. But to me, it was literally just, I can't believe there's a Tamagotchi for Kingdom Hearts. I'm going to order one. <laughs> like, that was all it was. I don't expect you to be fucking playing it out of obligation. If you threw it away, I would be fine with it. It was just yeah, one more year, of the joke of having it in there. One year I bought, I found this site that does uh, video game music, music boxes. And uh, actually at one point, after I had moved away from the disc plates, I was trying to see if I could find a down, down, down by the river, the, the Baldur's Gate theme as a wooden music box because I thought that would have been cool. You just prop it open, it's got the Baldur's Gate 3 logo, and then you just wind it up and it's just bloom, bloom. That would have been fucking boom. sick. I, yeah, but I couldn't, I couldn't find <laughs> yeah. it. It bothered the shit out of me, but I, and I, I went back to Persona. I was like, I'm just going to go to Persona. I know he likes Persona. It's, that, <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I almost bought you. There was, there, was a, there was a meme that was going around of Asterion turning into a duck for a while. <laughs> and someone had a 3D printed Asterion duck that looked incredible, but they didn't have any more of the painted ones. And you could only buy the ones that were unpainted. I was like, I'm not going to buy Chris an unpainted one, but uh-huh. that was almost my gift to you. It was like $130. And I, I almost checked out. I was like trying really hard. And I like, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to send him an unpainted Asterion duck. You know, it would have been great. But look, the thing is like, <laughs> you got me a display and 30% off my next one. So it was like a perfect gift. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell Yeah. I, look, I'm glad you liked it. That was my biggest concern. Also, I made sure that I, I got you the the magnets to hang it up because I was like, yes. I don't want him to get this and have no way to hang it up. So, uh, it's great. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. it. What a weird conversation to come from a simple question. Uh, the next one's a little it's more a video game focused, and uh, I know that you've seen it because you kind of showed your hand a little earlier in the in the Discord. Yeah, it was funny. But, I looked at that and I went, "Oh shit, it's an announcement." So I just gave a bunch of content away for free. <laughs> Darn, Chris, as if we don't do that every week. Um, Rude Days 93, long-time listener, long-time patron. He says, what's your opinion on the yellow paint controversy that's been the talk of the internet lately? For those not in the know, people are thinking game developers are going a bit overboard with the highlighting of areas you can interact with. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth being the latest example. You think it is becoming a problem in games, or is this just another overreaction? Um I'm going to start with this one, Chris, if you're cool mm, with that. Please do. I, much like you, I both understand why sometimes people feel like they would wish that developers wouldn't hold their hands so much. That's how I'll word that. Uh, and and I, I mean that. But I think that this is a bit of an overreaction, primarily for the fact that drawing the line here feels really arbitrary when games have a long history of conveying information to you that it that becomes second nature by use of color so chris let me ask you something when you're playing a game and you see something green what is usually the first thing you think of healing exactly when you're playing a game and you see something red usually what is the first thing you think of explosion 
Okay. When you're playing a game and you see something purple, what is the first thing you think of? I don't have one for that. Oh, interesting. I would have said poison, something bad. Sure, right? something, poison. Something that hurts you to some degree. Yeah. All right. So we've been using colors to code things in video games for a long time. That has been yeah. happening time immemorial. And there have been people, I actually think someone mentioned it in here. There's a number of developers yeah, who have it. mentioned that they wanted to move away from highlighting stuff. But when you do it, people in playtesting just don't interact with it because they don't think you can. Because we have at this point learned that the things that we're supposed to be interacting with are given to us. Now, my real answer to this is that people who are making this into a controversy, that's ridiculous. It's a non-issue. But if I want to offer a solution to this non-controversy, just as a, hey, is there a way that we can probably better serve a, a wider group of people? Accessibility option. If you don't want this, go in the settings, turn it off. All of the highlights things go away. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of like, you know how we've gotten to where games, modern games, most of the time when they're open world, have got, uh, Red Dead was one of them. You can play with the map, and it shows you everything, and it puts waypoints where you're needing to go. Or you can play in explore mode, where people tell you things and give you hints, and you've got to figure out what the fuck they're talking about on your own. Okay. I like that because you get to make that decision and you can flip between them at leisure. Do whatever you want to. I think that that's a good thing to do here. At the beginning of the game, be like, hey, this game does use this if you want it. It's it's set to on automatically, but if you want to turn it off, you can turn it off. I'd like to see that. But <clears> I think, <throat> generally speaking, it is a non-issue. And eventually, you've just got to be okay with games doing what they're doing to try and explain as best they can to you things they can. Um, I guess the last thing I'll kind of say about this is... Um, if you're going to do it, I just like it to be a little more effort put into it. And I feel like it's been tr true of a lot of games lately. So God of War 2018 uh, gave the uh, explanation that Faye had went ahead of you and knew that this was coming. And so marked all the areas that you would need to go. Cool. In lore reason. Dope. My favorite one, because it is essentially what I'm talking about, is actually Horizon. Because if you do not bounce the, the focus that shows you the little yellow edge lines in like digitally, you actually don't know what you're supposed to climb on. And I really like that because it's at your disposal to do what you want to. It's almost like the wind in ghost of Tsushima. If you don't want the wind to show you where to go, just don't fucking hit the wind button. Yeah. I like yeah. both of those. So Chris, what's your take on this? Um, I mean, I think it's a non controversy. I really do. Uh, it just seems to me like, I mean, quite, quite, f quite frankly, it, it seems like X bait, honestly, because like, I, mean, I, I think I gave an example, like I've been playing Final Fantasy seven remake and it was, it's great, but I had that one, I had one moment in chapter seven where I was looking for a little key card and I couldn't find it. And I was just running up and down the level. There was nothing telling me where it was. So I just kind of, eh. and eventually I found it just running back and forth over and over again, you know? Yeah. So it was very, uh, I don't know. I found it. I, I just find this 
I, I, I don't know how to really put it into words. I get where it comes from because it makes you feel dumb. But at the same time, it's like it's not that big a deal. Well, I think it blew up again because do you remember? And I actually really b- agree with this one. Uh, do you remember a while back whenever God of War Ragnarok came out and there was this thing about the game being like immediately giving you the answer the moment you took half a second to look at a puzzle? And sometimes I already knew what to do in the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And just on the way to going to where I needed to go, Mimir or someone's already like, hey, what if you did this? And I'm like, God damn, like, let me at least attempt and then fail. I don't mind a game having the ability to throw you hints after it can tell you've been stuck for a bit. But it's like they were so scared that you might get stuck at a puzzle for more than one minute that you'd throw off their already bad pacing (laughs) (laughs) and be like, oh, no, I don't want to play this game anymore. And I find that so weird because that my answer there is the same one here for people that you really think need it make it an accessibility toggle either on off or hey how long and we'll do three increments one minute after you've been stuck in a puzzle three minutes five minutes cool off yeah. one three five it's cool. just you know in term, going straight back to the yellow line thing it's just what you said it's we were coded to know this stuff and it's one of those things where people are like, oh, well, Kratos can jump over this, but he can't jump over that. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, because that's the path you're supposed to go on. And that's the thing. <clears throat> you know, Blake brought up in the Discord of the uh, the red the red barrels. And it's like, that sounds funny that no one shot the other barrels. But why would I shoot the other barrels when every other game I played, if it's not red, it doesn't explode? Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that you're you're mostly right. I was thinking about this whenever he first brought this up, and I started thinking about interactive objects in general and how I think Resident Evil 4 and even the new version like distinctly shows you a different looking barrel for ones that can break than the ones that are just there for set decoration. And the new one, the difference is that they paint like huge yellow X's on it. And I was thinking Bloodborne is a game where all these boxes and barrels and everything are breakable, whether there's anything inside them or not. Mm-hmm. But that's so uncommon. And usually people are going to not... If, like, if you're playing a game like Resident Evil and you don't see anything that separates ones from being breakable, you would just assume that none of them are breakable and you'd go about your business. Because that type of game has leaned on that for so long that you're trained to look for that and go on about your business. But yeah. in a game that doesn't utilize it in the same capacity, like a Bloodborne, that is really trying to push you to explore more, you just roll into barrels. Because I remember in Bloodborne, I was, I wouldn't say stuck, but I found on accident, the the, the in the initial area of Yarnum, there's barrels you can jump through uh, to go into like the sewer area to mm-hmm. where you can go around the, the it's like you go around the door and fight the dude that looks like Solomon Grundy who's hitting the door from the other side uh, and I remember finding that on complete accident because I kept running around and being like huh I wonder where I could go or where I should go and then I remember looking and being like oh, there's some barrels I'm just going to break them and I rolled into them and fell off and I was like fuck <laughs> but that's kind of what that game goes for right hey roll into shit you never know what's going to be around behind or whatever um So it's weird. A game that comes to mind that I think kind of handled this well, uh, this idea of when do you help the player, uh, is Viewfinder. Because Mm. you did you beat Viewfinder? I did not. Okay. 
uh, I don't really think that this is any kind of crazy spoiler. It's just a mechanical thing. Sure. Um, and it seems like the logical conclusion that you'd come to in a puzzle game. Uh, the last level of the game is a gauntlet where you have five minutes to move through a bunch of series of levels that are loading as you continue to hit these levers and you can move between time to and from them and take pictures and do different things. But the idea is that you have five minutes to make it through this gauntlet that utilizes every mechanic the game has shown you up until this point, every single one of them in a line. And I love that. I think it's a really good ending, but it was an interesting difficulty spike because suddenly the game went from me being able to solve most puzzles within just like a minute or two. Um, and even sometimes solving puzzles in very non-traditional ways. Um, and then getting to this point where suddenly I was losing. In this five-minute mark, I ca- I had to redo this section of the game like six or seven times before I finally <laughs> kind of started getting close enough to be like, this is clearly what I'm supposed to do. And I finally got that perfect run. And I thought it was interesting because they have a hint system. If you stay long enough in an area, or it could tell that I kept redoing the same area, and so what it did is it gives a hint and it just says press you know press touchpad if you want to see a hint and you can press it and then there's a hint button that you get mm-hmm. an X on and it's a very vague hint at first and I clicked it and it was like remember that you can take pictures to and from different times and set points that you can rewind I was like oh yeah and it kind of made me rethink <laughs> about the way I was going through this gauntlet and I thought, that's a really clever system. And I assume if you stay stuck long enough, it, it starts giving more and more overt hints of what you should probably be doing. And I like that because I don't think – I get the idea of having a game give you hints so that you're not stuck and getting annoyed. But, you know, I mean, take the I, game for what it is. I guess I just wonder what's more handholdy. Like, if you were playing Bulletstorm and the main character sure. went to you and was like, yeah, only shoot the yellow barrels. Those are the only ones that explode. I feel like that would just be more annoying than the red ones. Yeah. Because even Final Fantasy VII, it goes, oh, you can break boxes with the Shinra logo on it. You know, and like, that's not, I shouldn't say it's annoying, but it was like, okay, you paused my game to tell me this. Paint them yellow. So I know. <laughs> I honestly think the Shinra boxes, I don't think that they should have told you. I think it's pretty obvious. They're yeah. the boxes that look different. Exactly. They didn't My immediate thing me. is, why do these look different? I want to try and break it. And that's what the weirdest part about that game is, right? They told me about the Shinra boxes, but then there was no indication of where this small little key card was so that I could move on to the next part. And it's like, if you're going to direct me so much here, put a goddamn thing on my map so I'm not running around this samey looking area. Yeah. So next question, brother. All right, that is actually the end of the questions for the episode. Well, let me, let me double check that. I'm pretty sure that's the end of the questions. Yeah. Um, all right, so with that in mind, we do have a Velvet's Corner. So, Chris, take your clothes off, relax a little bit, and lay down on the waterproof blanket because guess what, buddy? It's I'm not going to finish again. Velvet's Corner. Guess we didn't need the waterproof blanket, huh? Because you couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to the sexiest part of the show, <laughs> which has been a little more sparing here and there. Uh, this is a subtle reminder to anyone who wants to keep the Velvet's Corner going along. Um, I, I look the un- the uncomfortable reality of it is is that 
certain games I, I, we, I run by Chris, certain submissions we run like, by each other and see whether or not we're feeling them. If we're not, if we're not both sold on them, then we're just not going to do it. That is typically how it goes. Uh, so with this case, I reached out to Velvet Thunder because he had mentioned in the past that he, uh, if there was ever a time where we didn't have ones that we felt like we could use, to let him know, and he would like to sometimes still contribute to the um, to the the section and be able to kind of give us a prompt. So this one's simple, really easy. Uh, Chris, pitch a video game based on the following films that I associate with each of you. So for me, it's Enemy, <laughs> and for you, it's Malignant. Ooh. I think both of these are ripe with possibility for <clears throat> video game stuff. They are. So I'm going to cede the floor to you and kind of let you walk me through what you would do with a malignant game. I think I would do a half brawler, half visual novel video game. Interesting. See, I yeah. was trying to figure out where do you pull in the, the main hook of malignant and what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so. I think it would be like half the game you're playing as. I don't want to. I don't. Do I want to spoil it? You're playing as. You're 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 in a nice normal situation, having a normal time, and then the brawler mode is when you uh, let your hair down, and you go <laughs> do that kind of thing. So without spoiling the movie, I would go with like a. I would almost do something more interesting where you're like trying to solve. You're trying to figure out why these things keep happening. And then you keep the other side of the game is you doing the things you're trying to figure out why it keep happening. So that's yeah, how I see, I was kind of almost thinking of, uh, let me move back to a different thing. I think the interesting thing for that would be like, did you ever, did you ever play or even hear of a game called Fahrenheit? Uh, yeah. Actually, it's uh, uh, Aquatic Dream, right? Yes, and over here it had a different name. It was called um, Black and White. No, damn! I don't know why I'm so brain dead. Uh, Indigo Prophecy uh, is what it was originally called over here. So, in that game, one of the interesting things that you're doing is that you play as both the detective and the people beforehand that were doing the thing. So like you you plant evidence that you can then find as a detective and you're kind of playing this weird cat and mouse game. And I almost think it'd be interesting if that's what you were doing there. Like when you break out into playing as this opposite character who's, you know, the the antagonist of the situation, you're playing as them, um you do things that you eventually come back around and you then follow it up by like trying to look into what happened and picking up little pieces and you slowly start piecing the story together of what happened by doing so. Uh, it's funny because in that sense, it's almost like what I think I would do with enemy, which it's funny. We bring up quantum dream because I was going to say, I think a great way to pull off enemy would be to be a heavy rain like game where, cause we're going based off. So I think you're just trying to evoke a similar idea to him. And I think if you've seen Enemy and you know what its hook is, I think it'd be really interesting to rotate through because I think Heavy Rain kind of does a similar thing with its story. I think it'd be interesting to play through and let you make these decisions uh, that determine whether or not you actually find out what happens. Because what I love about Heavy Rain is that the decisions that you make throughout it they only impact the story in so far as how much you get to hear, uh, how much you get to understand about what actually happened. 
you don't actually change the outcome a whole, whole, whole bunch. You really change how much you understand the events of the game up until that point. Um, and I think that's what you do with an enemy. You'd be trying to set where you're making different decisions and things are moving along and eventually it converges and you understand what's going on. Uh, I like those types of games. The only yeah. thing is, is that a lot of games like Heavy Rain and um, whatnot use multiple characters to split different paths and kind of converge the storytelling at different points, like Until Dawn did. I'm not exactly sure how you pull that off with Enemy. And I definitely can't say so without... I, I can't get further into it without spoiling Enemy. Yeah, I, and I almost don't even know if it really works as a game, honestly. Really? Yeah. At least not like a traditional game. Like if it was like a dang like a visual novel. I know that's a very easy answer for this, but I could see it as a visual novel, like almost like a telltale kind of thing. I could see. Well, I think Quantic Dream kind of exists in that similar realm. Sure, or at least I would say do. so. But yeah, I could see that. I don't know. I think there's just it's a lot of visual because I don't know. I think it would be without spoiling it. I think it would be very hard to portray the hook in that game in a game of enemy without it being explicitly stated and then you kind of lose the whole point i i almost verge on the not wanting to spoil and only because i know that you know enemy and so i think if you use that idea that i think heavy rain uses the reason that came to mind is i think heavy rain does a good job of making you the player question who who you're playing as and what their involvement is or isn't. And I bring that up because have you beat heavy, uh, heavy rain, Chris, have you ever yeah, played it all the way through? I have. Okay. So you know how kind of the big stick of that game is selectively choosing what you see when you see with what characters and then causing things to happen that that player does not fully understand the context of because so it, look, I'm, I'm going to have to, at least for your sake, spoil I'm not going to spoil Enemy, but I'm going to spoil Heavy Rain. So you know in Heavy Rain, where you're going through and you're playing as Ethan. Yes. There are multiple times throughout the game where you are very clearly led to believe that your blackout's happening and you waking up in the street, that you are the origami killer. Even though that as you continue to play the game through and through and through and the final moment hits, you realize that you're not. Mm-hmm. but the game does a good job of making you, the player, doubt your own character that you're supposed to be representing. And I think that that's what you do in a game for enemy. You kind of take the idea of using the ability to obfuscate by very selective you know, showing so that you can make the player believe different things by way of doing that. Um, so, you know, I think you you do what the movie's doing, but you make it to where the game makes you, the player, believe something that's not true until the end mm-hmm. when it becomes true. Like we become aware of what's actually going down. So who knows? Uh, I'm often, I think it's difficult to translate movies to games because they are very, very different mediums. Yeah. But I, it, it's funny that both of ours landed on versions of games that are less gameplay heavy. Mine would definitely have more gameplay than yours, I would say. <clears throat> yours would have more. You'd have an entire brawler section. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Chris. Uh, that's all we have for today, man. This oh, is uh, you, an interestingly uh, thick episode. Uh, two C's. Uh, 
chonky. I, all, all I can say at this point is we'll come back next week and see what's actually happening at Xbox and that the questions will finally be answered, hopefully. I am I have a small worry that after all this, they're gonna do the podcast and it's still gonna be like, okay. <laughs> you know what would be very funny? They won't do this because it's a corporation, they're not cool. But it would be very funny if that launches and it's just the scene from Wolf of Wall Street and it's Leonardo DiCaprio going, I ain't fucking leaving. <laughs> And then it ends, and that's it. I would be like, I would, I would, I would go buy an Xbox again. I'd be like, Dude, you know what? That was funny. Even if the whole way through, they they did this thing where they launched the podcast, and they all get in there and go, "All right, guys, thank y'all for joining me today to talk about the future of Xbox." And then they basically just be like, "Ain't shit changing." Gotcha. <laughs> and then and then in the broadcast immediately. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> I would respect that too. Would it would too. never happen in a corporate environment. No. Give me the I ain't fucking leaving and I'll buy an Xbox. But I'm gonna buy your games on PlayStation, so just sell them to me there. I really want to play Halo Infinite again, so let's do it. Yeah, Halo Infinite's I, one of the ones you know that I'm, I'm very curious about. To at the risk of expanding this podcast even further, do you think they shy away from doing stuff like Halo and Gears and Forza? strictly off the worry that the player count would be higher on PS5 and that would be a terrible look? I think that... Remove that. I think they probably shy away from that for simply the reason that if you're going to keep making a console and you want your brand to mean much of anything, that the pillars of your brand, which are quite literally Gears, Master Chief, and Forza, that those are what they have. Those yeah. are what most people for the longest time have... Uh, identified xbox with they are their three strongest brands from a recognition standpoint you think of those you think of xbox or if you think of xbox you think of those uh for better or worse and, and so i think that they may shy away from those because those are almost like hollow hallowed ground exclusives and the rest of them if you notice they've been doing more disconnected exclusives which i really appreciate mm -hmm. does it really matter if avowed comes across eventually there's no history with avowed on xbox it's ironic you know there's mean? legacy on PlayStation because that's a Pillars of Eternity game. <clears throat> True. So across across the whole thing, I think that that's the, that's the value. There will be games that are true exclusives that mean too much to the brand. And then there are ones like ReCore where they're like, yeah, fuck it. ReCore has, it doesn't have years of history and exclusives with the game, with the brand, you know. It's just a game. I wouldn't, I, I mean this, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, Quantum Break comes over. Sunset Overdrive? Why not? Yeah. It would be interesting because I was thinking the other day it would be kind of neat if they were like, uh, we'll we'll let you make Sunset Overdrive too, but it has to be day and date on both. They're like, okay. <laughs> well, from what I understand, Sony can green light uh, uh, two immediately. They yeah, just can't do anything with one. No, Microsoft owns the rights to the next two games. Oh, is that what the contract was? Yeah. That was and they the FTC that out. Well, I, I, I mean, gotcha. they're a Marvel factory, so why would they even bother? Good point. All <laughs> right, Chris, anything else you want to add here? Or are we done? I'm done. All right, what do you want the community stake to be? Oh, God. Uh, pitch me a game off your favorite movie. Okay. 
There you go. Look at that. Velvet's Corner coming back around. Uh, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which if you've made it this far, you've already done, uh, we appreciate you. But if you want to dig even deeper and support us financially, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month to keep the show going. We appreciate all of you who do. And as such, we always like to shout them out at the end of the episode. But before we do that, remember you can find us on social media, on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in the Discord, which is linked in the description below. We hope to see you there. Uh, we'll see you next week and see what MechSox brings to the table. And without further ado, we're going to shout out Duh Overlord, Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, Easton328, Aztec King, Lichion69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Santarude. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week.